I'm glad we're on a multi-track so I can edit out every cough and nose blow that I do <laughs> without I- impacting anyone else's sound. That is fair. <laughs> so I apologize because I can't necessarily mute it for all you. So I apologize for any noises I may make during recording. We'll <sighs> be fine. We Gross. understand. <laughs> Except for Kevin, apparently. <laughs> well, that's just Kevin. Yeah, yeah. I'm just an asshole. It's fine. Welcome to Preferred Enemies, the Warhammer 40k podcast that doesn't want to come up short. I'm your host, Rob. Kevin. Dennis. <laughs> and Richard. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I already got Dennis with that one, I can tell. Um, yeah, it's gonna I don't think any of us were expecting that. <laughs> I was gonna, none, of us, none of us were ready for that. <laughs> you should have been, given the subject of the episode. We, sh- we should have been, but we still weren't ready for it. <laughs> you still weren't ready well, as of April 1st, we definitely weren't ready. <laughs> yeah, so right. uh, if you haven't gathered up by now, we are going to be talking about the brand new Leagues of Votan release. That's right, we have had a chance to look at the uh, Codex, and actually a legit copy of the Codex, not the one that was leaked ahead of time. Shame on whoever did that. So I imagine a lot of this conversation has already gone around on the internet, but we actually... Are, had the had the physical copy in our hands. I had it for a little while, and then I sent it off to Dennis because he had already laid claim to the Leagues of Votan. So it, it's currently in my hand right now, sitting right next to me. So, <laughs> uh, but yes, that it. We are going to be talking about ten things you need to know about the Leagues of Votan today as our main topic. But before that, as always, news, new releases, and your listener mail. And obviously, the big news, there we had the Nova Open preview about a week or two ago. And the the big news from that was, first of all, Leagues of Votan, which we called it Army Box. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm happy and sad. <laughs> and I will say we called that before we received our copy of the Army Box from Games Workshop. So I'm not just saying like, oh, yeah, no, I knew it was an Army Box. No, we like... About a month or so ago, we we had guessed it was an army box, and so yeah, it it, it is indeed an army box. And they really they revealed the last few models from the line that they had not shown off yet, oh, and they all look so good. I really want a land fortress yeah. now, and the cipher yeah. is awesome. Yeah, the the, the Grimnir looks great. Like all the character models look fantastic. I, I've heard the complaint that the the Grimnir looks too much like a fantasy dwarf, and I'm like. <laughs> yes. What? What are you? What? What? What do you think we're doing here? How, how's How's that a complaint? Right. I, I, like, that what? is an advantage. <laughs> right. I was like, what? what? I, I'd say the only one I was disappointed in was the the iron, um, the broker iron master. Yes, the iron master because um, I don't know. He just didn't call out to me. But when we get to the rules, I think he's my favorite of the HQs just for all the stuff he can do. He's mm-hmm. definitely the most yeah. useful of them. Well, he's designed like a Rob Liefeld character because he's like all pouches and his visor has way <laughs> too many lenses. He has feet, though, so he can't actually be a Rob <laughs> Liefeld character. Yeah. You can put some tuft of like grass on the base right above his feet, so you can't That's see true. Him. That's true. 
but yeah the the models look really good the and and like they definitely have figured out how to work in the the fantasy dwarf element but in space into all these models like the craftsmanship that goes into all of them and the detailing like the corves that go along with the uh the grimnir like they look like sci-fi versions of some of the uh of the fire slayers where they've got like the runes embedded in their skin. It's, you know, it kind of has that vibe to it. So I, I really, yeah, I'm really liking the model line. It, it's got a very distinctive look. It, it doesn't look quite like anything else, which is good. It doesn't look like yeah. it's just cobbled together from Imperium stuff. But then at the same time, as they've pointed out, there's little bits and pieces that show like, this is where Imperium technology, like human technology was headed at one point. Yeah. No, I, I've heard a lot of people talk about how it's uh, similar to, like, the, uh, was it Vansar technology in Necromunda? Mm-hmm. Because yeah. according to the Necromunda fluff, they also have access to SCTs and older technology. So I do like that they've managed to kind of find a middle ground between, like, what the Vansar faction looks like and the Imperium while sprinkling in, you know, Tau Ion weapons and stuff like that. Like, showing that, no, they do actually trade and interact with the wider galaxy. Right, which they even wrote in the fluff section too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we'll and we will be discussing a little bit more of their fluff when we get into the codex itself. Also, this was confirmed to be our autumn codex release, and we have the our next two winter releases. And guard players will be happy because they're up next. They are. I yes, thought it was Astra, Astra Militarum. Damn it, the same difference. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I, I will go and ahead like and say last this right time, now. And like oh, last go, go. time, we're gonna we're gonna wait like forever before we actually review the codex, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, well, well, considering that I'm working on Trader Guard, I think I'm gonna have to actually like read and grok this one. So. Okay, so, so 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 Rob's gonna take the bullet for this one. <laughs> I, I will. I although Kevin, I think technically has more actual guard models than I do at this I, point. Oh, that's right. I do because Ke- I have a couple units of Krieg. Yeah, Kriegers. And you have uh, Tanith first and only. That is true. You've gone scared. And I, I, I found that I have a... And that Cadian uh, box that we got. Yeah, I had a Cadian okay. combat patrol at some point, so... Because that's right. Kevin's guard, Rob's trader guard, and Richard is... Um, Zeno guard. Tyranid guard. <laughs> yep. Moving... Um, Moving places, like moving into a new house, has really shown that I have way too many models that I still have in the shrink wrap. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> I, f- I feel you. I, f- I mean, I'm looking over my shelves of shame once again, <laughs> to the point where I have additional shelves of shame that are out of view because I've overgrown. I'm working on it. I'm working oh on my. it right now. But, um, but yeah, I'm still catching up. Um, so so are then- we going to declare next year being the, the thing where we all get caught up? Oh God, no! Because I'm gonna be. I mean, I love that as a, I love that as a dream for you. <laughs> no, because I'll be doing a new army next year. <laughs> well, oh, okay. <laughs> Is it guard? So, so standard <laughs> New Year's resolution thing, right? New Year, new army. We, yeah. Oh, yeah. I am exactly. done with that. I am so done with that. I've done three new armies between sisters, knights, and now Votan. <laughs> Uh, no more. <laughs> it's been a good year for you. Three. Well, you know, they say with the pandemic, the last year has felt like three years. So there you go. Exactly. Uh, or maybe the yeah. last three years of work sound been like one year. I don't know. I lose track. But, uh, uh, but yes, we've got Astra Militarum coming up. And then Kevin will be happy because uh, he, I guess I do have to take the guard codex because he gets the next one. And that's yeah. world leaders. 
Woohoo! World Eaters are confirmed as uh, our other winter codex, which doesn't surprise us. We knew it was coming, but that means it'll probably be like early January, early to mid January, yeah, with guard probably February. being. Dis- Maybe, maybe I could see that, or I could see the pre-releases starting in January, maybe the yeah. release in February. Yeah, yeah. Because I think they've said elsewhere that it's probably going to be twenty twenty-three. So right, yeah. I don't expect but guard, it this year. but I expect a guard by Christmas. Yeah, yeah. That sounds like a holiday thing. <laughs> and uh, speaking of world eaters, we also got. Uh, our first views of the new corn berserker models in total like we've seen like one corn berserker now we have seen the full unit of 10 and they look so pretty <laughs> they look so good like they're not all like I, roller skating like the uh like the previous ones it's a mix of like there's a cobbled together look to their armor it's a mix of like old uh mark you know mark 3 mark 4 mark 5 armor and modern stuff it yeah i I love it. I already have I like, like the, 100 Berserkers, but I'm going to get more. <laughs> I also like, like, we've got the, the World Eater, like, shoulder pads on them. Yeah. Uh, I think there was another article that was showing off, like, some of the bit design that pointed out mm-hmm. that some of the models are using Cataphracty uh, Terminator yep. shoulder pads for ease of mobility. Yep. Hmm. So I will say this as well. Like, looking through the uh, the unit... I looked at this like unit of uh, ten, probably fifty times before I realized that one of the guys is just holding his chainsword out and like has a pistol and a chainsword. I thought he had like a fire pike or something. At, like the first like fifty <laughs> times I looked at it, I it didn't register until I was looking at it again. I'm like, oh, that's just a chainsword. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you just want chainswords that spit fire. I mean, that would be cool. But no, like I, I'm super excited for this that they they look really cool and i expect that we'll see other units and other models that come out like i'm expecting a terminator unit uh as well but things look so good (laughs) yeah so much and i also i've seen somebody also point out that there's one model that has like he's running and he's holding like an eviscerator like that Mm double-handed chain sword and has been pointed out that's just gabriel seth's model and pose just reimagined a bit like it's it's a one-to-one yeah. comparison. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. But this is better because it's chaos. There you go. <laughs> uh, and then we also, like I said, they mentioned some of the the bits. Like the you know they did an article, get a first look at brand new World Eaters parts, and we see like the icons and backpacks, and then we start seeing some heads and it looks like possessed model bits. Yeah, and I'm wondering. I'm wondering if we're going to see uh, a mutilator's return, but as a world eaters only unit. I I've heard other people mention that too, and I think that makes sense. Um, mutilators have always been a joke unit, but so if you look, if you use the Death Guard and the Thousand Sons as kind of the template for this release, you're going to get a special corn unit. You're going to get a termin a special Terminator unit. You're going to get a, a cult unit, like a, a special cultist unit, and then some HQs. So, like, yeah, like, mutilators kind of fit in as be like, okay, we're going to make dedicated obliterators that are just power fists and chain fists and close combat. I'm like, that makes sense. You know, I, I think I think that would be a good spot to kind of reintroduce mutilators back into the game and uh, explain why they're not in the previous codex. So, yeah, yeah. Uh- 
and it, it's an army that it would definitely make sense for them, probably more than anyone else, to have that kind mm-hmm. of thing going on. I mean, now, alternately, this could just be least Terminators don't wear full Terminator armor, and he's just rocking a chain fist plugged into his arm. But for sure. I'm, yeah. For sure. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm really thinking that these could, they could be hinting at mutilators. Yeah, like the design, it's it's exactly on point. It's exactly what you want from an updated Corn Berserker line. So, I think it's fantastic. So, I imagine all you Corn players will be very happy with these new models. Very much so. Will they? Kevin says they'll complain about anything. I mean, I'll still complain. <laughs> I'll complain about the rules in the codex, but these models look awesome. I mean, okay. that's true for all war gamers. As we know, war gamers complain about two things: how things are and whenever things change. Yeah, exactly. And so, I mean, no one will ever make any everybody happy all the time. But I imagine, yeah. like, if especially if you're tired of the the older Berserker builds, which admittedly, the, I mean, those models have been officially put out to pasture now, and and they yeah. they needed to be. I will go ahead and say this though, uh, just to get out in front of it, the new World Eaters Codex will not be as good as the three five Chaos Codex. Just won't be. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, how about that's a that's a hard and fast rule. Nothing will ever be considered that good or that ridiculously complex. Right. <laughs> I mean, I complain about the complexity of modern codexes, and I still look like, oh wow, the three five uh, Chaos Codex is a nightmare. So right. no, it, yeah, we're good. <laughs> Also, ahead of time, I'm going to I'm going to apologize for the quality of my voice. I am recovering from a cold. Uh, Papa Nurgle is generous with his gifts, and I have been shaking this particular one off for a couple of days. So if I, my voice starts to come and go, that is why. Let's see. As far as other, I mean, that was our big 40k stuff. There's been actually a lot. Obviously, there's been a lot of focus on the new kill team box that just came out. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got more horse heresy stuff coming like they've got their imperium book coming now where which will allow you to play custodes assassins solar auxilia um they i think they also have a mechanicus book that is either out or is coming out i think it's on um, pre-order this week yeah and uh also the i think the new demos predator is on pre-order this week as we are recording this so um, a lot of new stuff coming out for those games. The uh, uh, the Kill Team uh, Annual, I believe, is out this mm-hmm. week. Yeah, and I was interested with that because they actually put out updated rules for the uh, Euclidean Star Striders and the, gosh, what is it? The Color other Pox, Pox Infected. Yeah. Yeah. So it was like, oh, that's cool. And like, I think they even re-released those models as like separate yes, kill they did. teams. So it's like, mm-hmm. that's really cool because I really dig those those Rogue Trader models. Mm-hmm. Those rogue trader models are really cool, and they're really they're really pushing uh, kill team again because they're like they've got the the light rules as a free download, the uh, intercession squad kill team as a free download for people who like already have you know space marine intercessors because they're like they give those models away in so many things. So yeah. it's like they're really trying to make kill team more accessible and we're seeing the same thing with Warcry, and now we're seeing even the same thing with uh the middle earth game which again we do not cover middle earth although i will admit i am very tempted to get into it because they've given away free rules and they've started dropping their their equivalent of the old start collecting boxes and at the same price point of 85 bucks a piece so like they're really trying you can tell they're trying to lower the the bar of entry for a lot of these games and I think even Horse Heresy in Plastic is an attempt to do that, to, to lower that cost of entry, to make it easier to get in. 
Right, and that's a great thing, having different games at different price points so people can play where they feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And they know that like, once somebody gets into one, if they decide to stick with that one, hey, you've, already, you've got a customer who is going to continue supporting that product line, and they may decide to branch out and go bigger and, or switch to a different game. You know, After, like, I've played a lot of this one, I want to try one of their other games. It's, it's, it's funny how like, making your products accessible to people actually makes you, like, you can actually make it up in volume, that kind of thing. <laughs> and, uh, but I think that is all our news and new releases. So we're going to transition over to listener mail. As always, uh, these are written by you, the listener, and we'll tell you how to have your letter read on the air at the end of the segment. Uh, so first up, we've got a letter from Zachary Dove. And Zachary writes, Greetings, elected adversaries. I love listening to you guys as I work away at my hobby table, slowly dwindling my pile of shame, only to have it grow even larger for my impulse purchases. Mm, same. I feel ya. See, uh, next year. <laughs> yeah, next year we'll fix it. <laughs> my current project is magnetizing the Black Templars box set I recently got for a steal, 50% off MSRP. Nice. Oh, nice. Mm. <laughs> that I am painting up as an Ultima founding Space Marine chapter called the Redeemers of Horus, who are implanted with the gene seed of the Luna Wolves because Belisarius Call, like a rebellious teenager, is not great at listening to Daddy Gulliman's instructions. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to chime in on your rules discussion, and I may have a solution that I do not recall being discussed. Progressively increasing costs. One of the issues with competitive 40k is that armies tend to spam whatever their best data sheet or stratagem is, and I find it boring. I think the solution would be that the first of your units costs X points, the next one costs X plus 25% points, so that the second unit unit costs 25% more points than the first. I believe Tau have something like that with their weapon loadouts on crisis suits. I think this would encourage a variety of units on the board without prohibiting them altogether, and if you really wanted to spam intercessors, a la the Brohammer Leviathan Iron Hands build from 8th edition, you still can, it's just going to cost you an efficiency. I think the same concept could be applied to stratagems to cut down on spam. Your first use of transhuman physiology costs 1 CP, the second of the battle costs 2 CP, the third costs a whopping 3 CP. This encourages more strategic thinking on the part of the player to know all their stratagem options and cut down on the spamming of the same three stratagems from each codex. I hope you find this insightful and my ideas were conveyed clearly. Keep being awesome, guys. By the blood of the Primarch, we are redeemed. Battle cry of the Redeemers of Horus. Best wishes, Zach from Texas. That is an interesting idea because we're, you know, as you mentioned, we see it in the Tau with the weapon loadouts and we already see it with uh, psychic costs where, you know, first time you go to cast a psychic power, it's X, then it's X plus one, et cetera. So progressive costs are already kind of an idea in the game. Um, yeah, I, I I think to make it work, you would need to um, you would definitely need to, like, have a, a, a good list building app. And, like, kind of make it very clear, like, what the cost is, like, kind of set the rules for multiple units. And maybe, I don't know, maybe you exclude troops from that because I, you know, I still think about the fact that there are a couple of factions that have one unit of troop. <laughs> right. <clears throat> yeah. And, and like, yeah, your troops, especially, like, horde armies are generally going to, like, orcs and tyranids, they're mm -hmm. just going to have to have lots of the same unit. So that needs to not necessarily, I think, I think having that not apply to troops would be a, a good idea. Yeah. Troops and maybe dedicated transports. 
would be the other one I'd consider it because again, a lot yeah. of armies only have like one or two options. Although that still open that still opens up the door to something like uh, like Venom spam or Raider spam that we saw with Drakari for a while. Fish of Fury. Like if you, <laughs> so, I mean, there there's stuff to be worked out, uh, but this basically this is a point solution similar to a different army building solution that's you know, basically Highlander, where apart from troops, you can take like you can take a unit in a particular battlefield role once, and then you can't take it again until you've taken every other option, mm-hmm. which allows those armies that don't have a lot of options to still use those options, but it does also prevent you from spamming the best option in each slot. And this would be the same kind of idea. It's like, you can choose to spam it, it's just, you're going to run out of points really fast. Yeah. Um, they're both valid solutions, and I think for, for spam, it, you know, for army building, army building, I don't think it's quite as much of an issue, and I think the the rule of three helps as well, you know, the... True. Yeah. Not being able to take more than three of a non-troops unit in a 2,000-point game is a good limitation there, but this is another way to address that. I do like the idea of certain strats, be, rather than necessarily limiting everything to once per game, saying, like, you can use a strat a second time. Uh, and I would say, apart from the generics, like, command rerolls should always be, like, universal strats yeah. should always stay the same cost. And you could even be very selective on the design. Like, if if transhuman physiology did have, like, per, like let's say it's, like, one cost progressive or something like that, where it's, like, every time you use it, it goes up. You could have certain strats. Because there's some strats that are, like, fluff pieces. Like, oh, the Eldari are better at fighting Slanesh or vice versa. Yeah. Like, those, <laughs> those I don't need progressive costing. But some of the, like, the really powerful ones, I could absolutely see you doing progressive costing on them and, and causing, helping bring that that spammable nature of them down. Mm-hmm. So no, I, I think Zachary, I think you, you did convey these ideas clearly. Also, I love the idea of your ultimate founding chapter because that is a, that is a fun bit of fluff and you're right. That is totally something Cole would do because he is a rebellious. <laughs> he is a 10,000 year old rebellious teenager. <laughs> All right. Next up from Clint Capanias, Clint writes, Hi, hey guys. I love the show and I never miss an episode. My question is pretty simple, I think. Uh, can you explain how the Relentless Fuselage Tau strat works? Does it just let you double tap at long range with a rapid fire weapon? Or will it also allow you to unload a disgusting four shots per fire warrior at half range? There's a lot of little buffs you can boost your fire warriors with that can make those four shots a piece pretty gross. Toss in a cotter fire blade for exploding sixes, a marker light for plus one to hit, and one of the multiple ways to get rerolls, not to mention plus one to rune rolls from the Tau homeworld specific strat, and that lone suicidal fire warriors unit jumping out of a devilfish is downright repugnant. Second question that just popped in my head as I wrote this email. Do you ever wish GW took a nerf bat to your army so you don't feel like a douche anymore while you manhandle your poor friend's sad, underpowered army? I'm, say, trying to suppress a giggle thinking about my boy Longstrike one-shotting poor Knight Commander Pask last week. Poor guard, still no new book. Even the squats got a book before them. Way to support the troops, GW. I roll. Wow. Wow. Um, so, uh, as far as the first rule, the first question, uh, Relentless Fuselot, and he did provide a screenshot, so I can refer to it. Uh, the rule, the, it's a stratagem. The strat reads as follows. Uh, Relentless Fuselot, 1 CP, Tau Empire Battle Tactic Stratagem. Use the stratagem in your shooting phase when a strike team unit from your army is selected to shoot. 
Until the end of the phase, instead of following the normal rules for rapid-fire weapons, model in that unit shooting pulse rifles, make double the number of attacks, and then there's also an effect on AP. But you'll notice that it says, instead of following the normal rules for rapid-fire weapons. So no, you do not double at half-range because you are ignoring the rapid-fire rule. You are firing your your double shots at full at full range. Yep. So that that is, you know, reading the strat, not always, but often explains the strat. And in this case, yeah, it is uh, basically this replaces the rapid-fire rule for that unit's weapons for one turn. And now, as far as the second question, have you ever felt bad about your own units being powerful? Uh, yes. Uh, I, I didn't I didn't play Tyranids for how long? <laughs> right. <laughs> I I haven't I still haven't played my Tower Army in like five years. <laughs> From the last time they were really good. <laughs> and I I mean I'll toss this out. I love jet bikes. Everyone I think knows this. And I don't use custode jet bikes when custodes came out, because I thought they were too powerful. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think we've all been there where it's like, yeah, this unit, I mean, yeah, if you're just going in, like, I want to win all the things, y- you take the most powerful things. But there are times where it's like, especially in a casual game, you're like, yeah, this this unit's a little bit too pushed. Uh, this They, they shouldn't have made this as good. I'm not going to use this. Or or I'll take an uh, inefficient build because I want to do, do something a bit more fun. So, yeah, I, I think... There are times when we look at something, it's like, yeah, this is obviously too good. It really, GW really should pull pull back on this. So, yeah, I think we've all been there. All right, next up, uh, Malcolm Grazier. Malcolm Wright. So, this one's for you, Kevin. Uh, to the best Undergopher podcast, during your listener <laughs> question episode, someone brought up listening to old episodes, which reminded me of the Undergopher guys. I enjoyed their general approach to nerddom and their broad content. I'm curious if there are any podcasts that fit that model that you all can recommend. Perhaps I've missed it during a morale phase, so hopefully you don't mind refreshing my memory. Thanks, Malcolm. Kevin, they want more. Oof, <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> um... <laughs> No, uh, so, yeah, unfortunately, the Undergopher episodes, I believe, are off the internet now. Like, I think uh, we I think we stopped hosting the website. There are other, like, general, like, nerd podcasts out there. Um, it really kind of depends, I guess, on what you're interested in. If you're looking for RPG content, there are a ton of RPG podcasts out there. Like, you can see, find a bunch of, uh, like, actual plays, uh, 5e podcasts, stuff like that. There's also other, like, general podcasts that do, like, just kind of nerd stuff. Snipe and Wib, uh, their YouTube channel, they have a podcast that they also do. So I, I personally have kind of fallen more into, like, the YouTube rabbit hole. The uh, the Misanthrope Pod is what uh, Snipe and Wib's podcast is, and that covers, like, a lot more general nerdum and, like, pop culture stuff. There's also, I think it's uh, Mr. Sunday Movies does a podcast, a weekly podcast as well, where they talk about... Nerd culture, movies, TV shows, games, things like that. So there are a lot. There's a lot of really good content out there if you're interested in uh, in more like general nerddom stuff, or a lot of specific podcasts if you want to, you know, more role playing content, things like that. I mean, I know I've talked with uh, our friend Tim about the possibility of doing a role playing discussion podcast uh, because obviously I need more things to edit. But, uh, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's that's like I would love to do more, but it's like I'm I only time. have so much time, and until I've figured out how to warp time to do more, which I can't imagine would have any bad side effects anywhere. You can uh, sleep when you're dead; it's fine. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> yeah, I also like to sleep while I'm alive because sometimes sleep is really nice. 
Um, the Weekly Planet is the name of that Mr. Sunday Movies podcast, by the way. Okay. <laughs> um, no, th- there, there are a number of really good podcasts out there. And actually, I guess, minor plug for the podcast, because I was I had to log into my iTunes account for the first time in like eight months to update my payment because I for one of my like HBO Max subscriptions because it uh, my I changed my address. And uh, mm-hmm. I realized when I just did it, I went into the podcast app and I was just doing a Warhammer 40k search and we come up on like page two or three of the results. So if people want to leave like reviews and like ratings for the podcast, that would be awesome to help us get back on the first page. <laughs> Yay. All right. Next letter from Dennis Liam Mahoney. Dennis writes, hey, guys, thank you so much for the advice on my Death Guard army. They're looking awesome. Uh, Dennis was the one who wrote in about wanting to do an ice Death Guard. Like, mm-hmm. and we talked about like using like light blue washes and glazing and things like that. I said, I've got another question for you guys. My friends and I are arguing over which is better or which is a better damaging tanky army between Death Guard and Custodes. We're looking forward to y'all's opinion and reasons. As always, we love listening to you guys and glad you're back. I Who say is- Custodes because they're cooler. <laughs> <laughs> um, better, better damaging tanky army. Um, I mean, especially Death Guard with the probably f- wins at tanky. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'd say with the damage reduction and mm-hmm. especially the damage reduction, the ability or the addition of Armor of Contempt, which I do not believe Custodes have. Yeah. Uh, and one faction of them can get it. Yeah, but yeah. when you've got an entire army that yeah. has it by comparison. Yeah, and the fact that unlike Custodes, which had Obsec taken away from everything oh, and is now just, just their troops, I believe, whereas yeah. Death Guard have Obsec Blightlord Tem- Terminators. Yeah, I'm going to say, as far as pure tankiness, Death Guard is the solid winner in that case. I, I think so, too, yeah. As And as far as damage output, Custodes can put out a lot of, a lot of damage, no question there. Death Guard have more options for mortal wound output. Mm-hmm. And mortal wounds are harder. I mean, th- we're getting more things that save against mortal wounds now, but most armies still don't have that. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I love the fact that Custodes can like sport like strength eight stuff to just go wreck knights or wreck other big things. But like you said, there's not as much variety and they, for their big stuff, they either have to be close because it's melee or, mm-hmm. I don't know, the, the jet bikes are their, their best option at, at big shooty, but even those, they're better in melee. Mm-hmm. Um, well, maybe not better. Yeah. But I, I think for custodes to really get like good long range shooting, you have to dip into the Forge World stuff. And that's like the Telemon Dreadnought is really awesome. Oh, but like, yeah, their dreadnoughts are amazing. But like that, that's I think that's I think that's kind of the flaw of that army is it's a very small model count army and it has to be up close. Death Guard also has to be up close, but there are a few units like the the Plague Burst Crawler and things like that defilers that they can take that give you some range shooty so i'd take a telemon over those any day though <laughs> i would too but I, i'm just mean like pure codex without dipping into the forge world stuff because once you once you open up that that can of worms to forge world then you got to start talking about all the you know all of the other stuff that death card could potentially take that are that's <laughs> forge world as well like leviathan tread knots and things like that so but I, I think just looking at this pure codex i think Custodes have better damage output. They just are more limited in what they what uh, how they can deal it out. Yeah, and also Death Guard do have the advantage of their stuff is in general a little bit cheaper. 
so mm-hmm. they can field more bodies. And because their bodies are tankier, they don't lose, like, losing a couple of bodies from, a like, a Plague Marine squad is not as damaging to your damage output as losing, like, one or two models from a Custode squad. Yep. So uh, I think that also leads into into them being more resilient. Losing models from a Death Guard army is not as painful as losing them from a Custodes army because you just have so few you can run in Custodes. All right, next up from Chad Nichols. Chad writes, Greeting, guys. Listening to the Astropath episode, I heard you mentioning the old Know Your Role segments. I miss those and think you should try to make time in each edition, after all codices are out, to revisit that <laughs> feature. Keep up the good work. I'm I'm totally in agreement. I think we should. I think that's once we have codexes, barring the fact that we, we're pretty sure the the next chain edition change is coming up in Ju- you know next summer, which will mean the whole cycle mm-hmm. starts over again. Um Although hopefully at a slower pace, I doubt it. Uh, yeah, no, I doubt it. But that, but that's the reason why we stopped doing it. Wants to be updated, right? Yeah. Well, that's the reason we stopped doing it because they kept releasing codexes at you know every month or two right, at a time. Speed. Clip for yeah. a while, yeah. So it's like we it, had it's nice two codexes. Yeah, it's nice where like we can be like, hey, we don't have to plan out our episodes because we know that it's just going to be codex review. But at the same time, like we don't have as much time for that that kind of discussion that we did have we had in the older days when we had you know six months between a codex release. So right. some sort of balance would be nice. <laughs> yeah. And then our last letter from Corey Duncan. Corey writes, "Dear preferred enemies, hey guys, just want to say I'm a big fan of the podcast. My question is about terrain. I'm fairly new to the war." to Warhammer, falling in love mostly with the hobby side of things. After finally getting a full army painted and ready to go, when I started to actually play, I usually ended up using whatever terrain my buddies or local game store had on hand. I want to make my next project to have a set of my own terrain. My question is, what exactly should I be looking for? All the terrain I've used has been inconsistent, just kind of a grab bag of what's available. Everybody seems to have a different idea of how much terrain there should be and how it's laid out. I'd like something more structured, but should I aim to mimic something like the ITC or WTC layouts? Are there any specific sets of terrain any of you guys would recommend? I just find it frustrating. Terrain seems so important to the game, but there are so little rules or etiquette when it comes to placement and amount. Any insight you guys could offer would be much appreciated. Cheers, Corey. All right, as far as amount of uh, terrain, uh, the old guideline that I I always heard and I, I thought was a pretty good way to follow was if you com- if you basically collapsed all the terrain into one part of the table, it should fill about a quarter of the table. Like if you did mm-hmm. all the terrain pieces basically base to base, if you're if they're based or t- you know like whatever your areas of terrain are defined, then you should have about a quarter of the table full of terrain, and you can even go a little bit higher than that in this edition if you want. As far as, as how it's placed, um, there's a lot of different ways you can go about it. I personally am a big fan of symmetric uh, layouts because I want to find layouts that don't benefit one side over another, depending on like where deplo- deployment zones are. Like you don't want one half of the table to be like obviously have better line of sight blocking, obviously have better cover, and whoever wins the roll off for deployment zones can pick the the better de- you know zone. You don't want that if you can avoid it. Which is why I do like things like the U.S. Open layout that they've, you know, those layouts that they've published where you have very clear, clearly spelled out, these are areas of terrain, these blocks of terrain have these various, will need to have these various traits, and you want to have stuff that 
like whereas these are like obscuring so you want to have them at least like five inches tall um they and you know ruins if at all possible that so those layouts are really good for that where it can get tricky is figuring out what to get to do that and one of the problems is games workshops train is very expensive I, I yeah. love their terrain. I love their newer terrain kits. They also keep rotating kits out. I have kits that I haven't assembled yet because I have shelves of shame that uh, are no longer available, but are still compatible with everything they're doing right now. And I love some of the kill team terrain they're putting out, but the kill team terrain is not enough for a 40k table in many cases because it's made for blocking individual like one-off guys rather than um, mm-hmm. you know blocking off like larger vehicles and things like that. So as far as like getting terrain, there's a number of providers you can get. And one of the, honestly, one of the best ones for getting a table's worth of terrain is Frontline Gaming. Because they sell the same terrain they use at like the LVO and things like that at like big tournaments. Like they even sell it, like sell it out as like, they have a category on their website. If you go to like store.frontlinegaming.org, they have event terrain they have just their regular terrain that you can get like if you want to mix and match a few pieces and they even have full color terrain which is pre-painted like it's it's you don't even you just assemble it it's all mdf terrain so it's basically pressed wood and uh, a table's worth like if you if you since you enjoy the hobby part part of the process um you can get their event sets like their unpainted event sets right now for like like less than two hundred dollars. Like the like they have their turb uh, FLG terrain urban corruption, which is like chaosified like gothic ruins, for one hundred ninety three fifty right now, and it's basically gives you enough stuff to provide a good amount of cover and line of sight blocking and area terrain on the table. But they also have those available in full color if you don't even want to, and in different colors if you don't want to paint it, but like they have an orc terrain set, gothic ruins, um, field base, industrial terrain. And I've like, I know I've played on the industrial set at uh, mm. Show Me Showdown. I know had in the industrial set. I, I've, and I think they also had like the Robot City, which is Necron base terrain. I've seen their Tau, the Interstellar City, which is Tau focused uh, at LVO. I mean, it's all good terrain. It's a nice variety of ruins, um, like container style things, broken up walls, and the price on that is is really good. There's also a Kickstarter I backed recently, and we're still waiting for the final product to be delivered. It's in production now, so it's actually being made. I will be getting it. It just hasn't come out yet. It was done by the people that make the squad marks, like the little base clip. Oh, yeah, yeah. The good thing is there's plenty of companies that make terrain and like will run Kickstarters and discounts and stuff through their store, whether it's, you know, MDF terrain, resin terrain, some cases there's plastic terrain. Like I know that uh, Mantic Games has a pretty good modular terrain system that they have that's relatively cheap and all hard plastic. The other thing that I will mention is, have you heard the good word of 3D printing? <laughs> because... Uh, <laughs> That's in my opinion. That's where I think 3D printing really shines, um, is for stuff like terrain, um, because it doesn't necessarily matter if you you know if it comes out exactly correctly, and it it becomes a hobby in and of itself. You know, maintaining the printers and finding files and stuff. But if you know if you enjoy that aspect of the hobby of like that DIY part of it, 
then picking up like a, uh, a, a filament FDM printer. The two that I have is I have the Ender 3, which is a smaller one, which is $189 on Amazon right now. And then I have a CR10, which is a larger one that's $270 right now on Amazon. And then obviously you have to buy the filament and there's other costs and stuff with it. But that allows you to then go, you know, back Kickstarters and get terrain. There's people on Patreon that are making terrain. There's, you know, websites that sell files for terrain. And you can really make uh, a lot of interesting and cool, unique stuff. Um, and then you can make as much of it or, you know, as you want. And I think that is also a way. And I think, as you mentioned in the in the letter, like part of the reason why terrain is so like kind of scattershot, nobody really has a, a set idea on it, is it's one of the last like DIY areas in the hobby of like units and models are becoming a little bit more regulated and things like that. And, you know, their GW used to have, you know, instructions on how to scratch build vehicles and stuff like that. And they don't do that anymore. They want to sell you kits. But with terrain, terrain is one of those last areas where people can really kind of put their own touch on it and make unique tables and types of terrain. And, you know, uh, you know, it, it is a key part to the game, but it's also one of those parts of the game where you can abstract it and use, you know, Coke cans and, uh, you know, and boxes to represent buildings and stuff and line of sight, right? Breaking terrain, if that's how you want to do it. So, um, if you're really interested in like the DIY element of the, of this, part of the hobby i think a 3d printer might be an option as well yeah it's i and that is one where i would actually recommend f like a filament printer over resin mm -hmm. because it resin is like resin terrain looks really nice it is complete overkill for <laughs> for terrain in many cases although you do have to be careful about what temperature you store everything at because it will warp in heat if you're not careful Yep. Uh, so the uh, uh, one I kickstarted is uh, Squad Marks has got a project for battle ready terrain, and the idea for that one is it's it's all flat packed. It's basically oh, yeah. printed that printed and it folds together. It uses magnets to hold everything in place, and then it unpack it unfolds and then packs into a tiny box. So I. I I kickstarted it because I'm really curious about the idea. Like, I want to see how it actually looks and functions mm. in practice. But it's like one of those things where it's like, I like the idea of this, of having a table's worth of terrain in a small box. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't I, realize that was squad marks when it, when it came yep. out, I, I might've backed it if I'd realized it was them. <laughs> I had recently picked up a, and I haven't put any of it together yet. Um, I, I heard about it from someone's, uh, Gen Con coverage. They were running a sale. It, it, it's a company called Tinker House, and they make it. It is very much like kind of the the idea, similar to like the the MDF terrain. Only it's it's printed on heavy duty cardboard, and it's so it's so it's pre colored, and so you don't have to like paint anything, and you just pop them out and stick them together like you would other MDF terrain and set it on the table and you're done. So it, it's, I think even generally even cheaper than, than the MDF terrain. Oh yeah. I'm looking at the, like yeah. their starters, which are sold out right now are like 70 bucks. Yeah. Now um, I remember seeing their stuff at Gen Con and uh, it looked really like it looked really sturdy and it looked really nice. So yeah, their, their terrain is also really good. 
Now that is that is some really cool looking stuff. So yeah, I mean, you, there's lots of options for doing terrain, and it, like it depends on like how much work do you want to do, like assembly, painting, like how much of the hobby do you want to do yourself? Do you want uh, something in plastic? Which plastic's going to be the most durable, but um, like MDF is totally fine. Uh, and if you're not going to be too hard on it, you know, card like printed cardboard, like dense cardboard is mm-hmm. also really good. So like any of those are good options. Or how even even like paper craft. Yep. You could you could boil it down even cheaper than that. You would you do really want to be real careful with that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, gosh, uh Infinity, like their starter sets come with basically paper craft terrain. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like cardstock. Uh, and there are guides on how to take that cardstock and like reinforce it for for you know better use. And again, Infinity is a game where you're dealing with like it's a skirmish level game, but you know that same concept can totally work for something at like a company level, like like 40k. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's lots of places you can go with it, and you can go it as shallow or as deep into the hobbying on it as you want. Uh, I mean, we've built a, when we did, was it second year of Midwest conquest, second or third year, we had, yeah. um, we, we had a bunch of train that we had ordered from somebody and they completely failed to deliver. And so we contacted Fr- frontline gaming and like, we're in a terrain emergency. Our provider has fallen through. We've got an event in like a month. And we need as much stuff as we can get. And they came through for us. And then we spent like a Absolutely. day putting together like a ton of their their buildings. And they go together great. Like they're they're really nice kits to work with. And what they have now is even better than what we were working with. Like they've really expanded. Um, so that's when I like I can speak from, per- you know, they are not sponsoring us in any way. They don't need need to. They're a bigger <laughs> entity than us. Um, and they have their own podcasts. So they don't they don't need us. But uh, no, just from personal experience, both building the stuff and playing with it like theirs is one like if you're trying to get a lot of train at a decent price, I would absolutely support frontline gaming for that. Absolutely. But yeah, it's just yeah, you're you're absolutely right there that it is it does end up being a really mixed catch-all bag of, like, terrain. And different events, like, as far as placement, some events even use player-placed terrain, but you just still want to make sure you have enough of the terrain for players to pick from and enough large pieces on it. So, so yeah, just look for, like, especially look for sets that focus on a full table's worth. I would again. I would use like the frontline gaming ones or the U.S. Open terrain layouts as kind of a guide of how much terrain you should have, and then just find the kits and style that suit what you want to do for your table um, and what kind of environment you want to have your your uh, armies playing on. So there, I don't think there's any wrong choices. Just make sure you have enough of it. Yeah, I guess I'll toss in my last thought is. You can go crazy on it, too, because narrative events and narrative tables don't have to be balanced. And on some of those, the table is as much a star oh, yeah. as the armies that are on it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. The table is is a, a vital component of a narrative game because you want to have a scenario. like And like you said, Dennis, that doesn't have to be balanced because sometimes in a narrative battle, it's not balanced. It's you're fighting yeah. like a desperate defense or an all-out attack, things like that. So, Well, and that's, that's one of the things that I, I 
try, I hope that I get across when, with like the friendly events, like doing, doing theme terrain for like a Necron table and like, you know, a, an orc table and stuff like that. So trying to go through and come up with those cool themes. And a lot of that is because I can, you know, 3d print a lot of stuff. So yeah, you're exactly right. Like table layout can, can vary and be part uh, as big a part of the story as anything else. Yep. So, Hori, hope that answers your question and gives you some ideas on where you can go for filling out your tables with terrain. And if you have a question for us or commentary on an episode or rules question, train question, hobby question, one our opinions, uh, there's three good ways to do that. First off is to email us. Our email addresses are ourfirstnames at preferredenemies.com. So, Rob at Kevin at Dennis at Richard at preferredenemies.com. Uh, or ourfirstnames, one word, at preferredenemies.com. Uh, second is Facebook. We're at facebook.com slash preferred enemies. You can like us there, follow us, and see updates on like when episodes are coming up, projects we're working on, commentary on, on new releases, etc. Uh, and third is Twitter. We are twitter.com slash preferred enemy, singular. And we take questions and comments from all those sources, throw them together, and get through as many as we can in an episode. We have cleared out the hopper, so if you want to get your letters read on our next episode, now is a perfect time to get it in. Uh, also, if you want to help support the show, we are on Patreon. We have patreon.com slash preferred enemies. Now, that is an online tip jar. We don't lock any of our episodes behind a paywall. Uh, we are looking possibly at uh, starting up a Discord. Um, we've actually had a couple people say that they would be interested, so we may be starting up a Discord in the next month. And if you want to access that Discord, you will have to be a uh, subscriber. But again, all our shows are free for everyone. But if you want to help support the show, uh, first off, we ask that you support your uh, uh, charities in your local area. Use your wargaming powers for awesome to help out. But after that, if you still want to help support, uh, even if it's just a dollar a month, enough people put in a dollar, it adds up and it helps pay for all the parts, the moving parts that make this show work, like our hosting, our recording service, uh, microphones, and defraying travel costs to events so we really do appreciate all your support we're going to go ahead and take a break for sponsor identification and when we come back we'll be talking about our main topic 10 things you need to know about the new leagues of Votan. see you in a bit miniatures we build them we paint them we love them that's why we also want to get them to the battle and back again safely and that's where Kara Multicase comes in. They offer a complete model storage and transport system. They offer a wide selection of core trays for standard size miniatures, as well as custom cut trays for specific models. KR's trays are made of a soft foam, available in a variety of colors, that won't scratch or snag your models. And to protect the foam, the trays are carried in easily stackable, swappable cardboard cases. They also offer a full range of Kaiser bags, backpacks, and aluminum cases for transporting your KR cases. You can even choose from pre-built tray selections to suit your army, or use the Autofill app to find just the right trays for your particular force. Whatever your game, 40K, X-Wing, Warm Hordes, or Historicals, KR Multicase has the cases to fit your needs. You can find out more at krmulticase.com. KR Multicase, soft foam for your figures, hard cases for the soft foam. Are you tired of playing on a boring battlefield? Do you want to step up the quality of your gaming table and make your battle look real? Then you need to check out the battle mats from GameMat. Their professionally designed rubber-based mats are just what your gaming table needs. Available in a variety of styles, with everything from rolling grasslands to urban war zones, winter wastelands to alien deserts, there's a GameMat mat to fit any kind of terrain. 
Their mats are padded, anti-slip, waterproof, and when you're done rolling dice and battling on your mat, just roll it up and stick it in the convenient carrying bag for easy transport and storage. And if you don't have a gaming table, they've got you covered with their folding Gboard portable gaming area and their line of pre-painted resin terrain. If you're ready to upgrade your gaming table, head over to www.gamemat.eu and find the gaming mat that's right for you. Game Mat, giving your armies the battlefield they deserve. And we're back, and that means it's time for our main topic, which is our look into the new Leagues of Votan book. Now, in this case, we're actually going to cover a little bit more about the fluff, because this is a brand new army, this first brand new army that we've had since, I'd say, Mechanicus, and really the first army that is brand new to the fluff since, God, how long? (laughs) Tau. Like, I mean, Tower, the, squ- the last, like, fully original army. <laughs> yeah, that was 20 I would, years I ago. Would say so. <laughs> yeah. Well, talents were kind of new-ish. Yeah, that's uh, true. Yeah. Stodes. Yeah. Because yeah. I don't think any of us at the time knew that, oh, the Emperor has a protective well, guard. <laughs> well, like, because well, it had always and- been there, but it was just like, there's, like, these guys standing in front of the Golden Throne, and that's mm-hmm. it. Like, that's yeah. all we ever saw of them. That's not an army. That's a couple. <laughs> yeah. Sure. But like custodes and admec and and squats, I guess, to a a degree, were always like in the fluff. But like squats had been out of the game since second edition. Like, so it's really this really does feel like a brand new army coming in. And also, I just want to really is I just want to take the moment to like acknowledge and like how ridiculous we would have thought in sixth edition you know 10 years ago howard like oh there's no way we'd ever be doing a squat codex they're never going to release that so i think that's really awesome i mean to be fair kevin it became a running joke and that's why on (laughs) april 1st of this year when they did it we were like haha that good you almost yeah that's funny guys and then april 2nd no it's real i'm like what oh (laughs) and and then it was immediately oh no they called my bluff (laughs) (laughs) Don't poke the bear. The bear poke back. <laughs> well, in this case, I'm glad I poked the bear because, I mean, the squat's army looks amazing. So, so everybody, yes. we can completely blame Dennis. Dennis is the reason <laughs> that this, this yeah. are, that no, no financial considerations or anything that GW wanted to do completely on Dennis. So we're, we're just going to... I'm just going to put that out there. And if GW wants to write back to us and say, no, it wasn't because of Dennis, then that means they're listening and paying attention. And if they're not, that means they acknowledge it. It was Dennis. It was Dennis the whole time. Uh, I'm sure it was more than just me, but. No, 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 not unless they say so. If you are listening and paying attention, we'd love to come visit Warhammer World on your time. <laughs> oh, my, Kevin. I'd have to get a passport what? first. <laughs> Uh, but no, this is this is a brand new uh, faction, and yeah, it was interesting. Uh, we've mentioned Snipe and Wib in the first part of the show. Uh, they did a video where they talk about the fact that there is no, there was not a Squats Codex in Second Edition. They were yep. mentioned, you know, like they had rules for them in the original box set for Second Edition, like in the starter set. And not that they had models for them in there or anything, but they had the rules for them. And other than a couple of issues of White Dwarf, that's all they ever got. They like that. That was the extent of squats yeah. rules for for forty k, and then they well, disappeared. And, I, and okay. I think they said that they were they did that because they just didn't have a feel for what they wanted space dwarves to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
and and it's so it was thus for a long time for probably nearly 30 years <laughs> until um until now uh, and we have the leagues of Votan as a reimagining of what space dwarves could be and so uh the first thing to point out about them is they do not i mean they are the leagues of Votan, but the species just refers to themselves as the kin they are the kin their origins are not fully spelled out. It is strongly suggested that they are originally from Earth. Like, Terra is probably their homeworld, but they don't put that much stock into whether it is or not. Um, it doesn't really matter to them. And I, I do like how, how pragmatic a, a species and culture they are. And they have this entire concept of what they call first truths, which are things that are certain articles of history that they consider indisputable fact. And so they know that at some point they left a homeworld, most likely Earth, almost definitely pre-imperial Earth, like Dark Age of Technology Earth. But it isn't important which world it is. And they were on these big generation ships. And... There also were a cloned people. Now, not cloned in the sense of there's 10 copies of the same guy, although with the number of models that they have announced that you will probably get a little bit of that. But uh, more along the sense of they aren't true born in the way that like you've got that they're they're primarily vat born, but they've got computers that basically combine genetic qualities so you don't get like the weirdness of inbreeding over like multiple generations it's like everybody comes out as a fresh combination of things and they were apparently designed genetically designed to be miners prospectors working in high gravity high danger environments and so that explains it explains a few things first off explains their physiology they are they are short you know for working at you know they're they're good at working in high gravity environments. They are very resilient. Some of them are modified to have even more special abilities, like the ability to see an infrared or being more resistant to temperature or radiation, based on like what the computers decide. Like we need these kinds of people right now, so we're going to clone and engineer uh, kin who have these special qualities. It also explains. Their, their pragmatic culture, because since they started on generation ships, they developed the idea that nothing goes, to, no resource goes to waste. Everybody works together and you take the time to do everything right because if something breaks, if a seal breaks, if its engine breaks, if we run out of air or repair materials, we all die. So we all have to work together, not for personal glory, but for the good of everyone to survive. And what it reminds me of more than anything else is the Belters from The Expanse. If you're familiar with The Expanse at all, you have an entire mm -hmm. society that is grown up in space on ships and on space stations. And they have very much that same thing. Like you double check everything. You, you make sure you do everything right. Because if you don't, everyone dies. Right. I could see that. And it definitely has as that feel, as you said, that on the ships – they have to like focus on everything and the computers are kind of guiding the way they are so much so that they started to revere the computers. Yep. They, they, they have what they've called the ancestor cores, which were the, the stores of knowledge. And these, 
these definitely have human origins because they are they're stocked with standard template construct plans and and these devices can like would basically yeah provide guidance and give them their missions give them tell them like this is what you need to do they could ask questions to these computers the computers would cogitate and res- and respond and then over time to enhance the computers and enhance their knowledge base the kin would return like one of the goals is the kin would return their memories like when they die they would return their memories to these computers so that the computers would could have all this practical experience and then thus use that to form better, more relevant uh, suggestions. And that's been very, very good for the kin over time. However, the computers were never intended, apparently, to run for millennia. <laughs> for many millennia. Heck, even and nowadays, we don't expect computers to run for more than three or four years. Yeah, you have too many vacation <laughs> pictures, your computer stops working, and that's kind of what happened here. So, as a reminder, defrag your hard drives, guys. Defrag. <laughs> yeah, and so, so the, what were the what are the ancestor cores are referred to as the Voton, like that. That is the Voton, and a a group of kin, and kin is also like kin is the the name for the entire species, but also if you are like you can belong to a particular kin, which would be the equivalent of like a clan or a family. And then multiple kin will join together to form leagues. And the actual leagues of Votan are these leagues that have that have formed around like these groups of kin that have formed around the possession of an ancestor core. And for the most part, while they revere the the Votan. They revere these ancestor cores. They don't consider them gods or anything like that, but they do like defer to their judgment. They do um ask them for information and like some of the information in these, like I said, weapon specifications, standard template constructs, uh scientific and philosophical learnings, genealogical data, military theory, survival theory, strategy. And that's just like that's a fraction of like what's inside this. And they can even there's so there's so much intelligence inside of these things that they do even show up in the warp like they're they they are that full of mind. Oh, I did specifically love when they talked about like the Grimnir like interacting with the ancestor cores trying to get this esoteric knowledge and like mine it for historical data and things like that. That they made a really great uh, uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Uh, reference and being like, sometimes those ancestor cores just spit out more questions. And I'm like, God, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> and and so, yeah, over time, as more and more data has been loaded into these things, they're getting, first off, they're starting to get ponderous. They're getting slow because there's so much data for them to dig through and to take into account that it can take centuries to get the answer to a particular question. And they're starting to get a little weird in some cases they may be starting to reach full sentience but they're not we don't know yet but still having access not only to the core but again to all the memories of all the kin who have come before having all the ancestor data there is so important to the voton that they will the voton are very pragmatic they like i said and to the point like even in combat they will they'll retreat if it's like th- they are not the imperium they will not throw themselves into death to uh 
like protect territorial resources. They'll fight doggedly. They'll be stubborn. But if it seems like this is a bad idea and we need to fall back and leave, they'll do it because it's like, we only have so many of us. It's not like we can go and find resources somewhere else. It's not worth dying for this. The Votan are something they will die for. If like an ancestor core is under threat, they will fight and die to the last kin to do it. And in fact, this has happened in at least one situation where a Votan core, uh, the world where Votan core was located was attacked, or I think it was like an asteroid or no, it was just on a, on a world, but they were attacked by the, the Tyranids and the Tyranids of course, ended up killing and eating all of the kin, but they didn't destroy the core because the core is not biological. So they don't care. So they just, once the planetoid was scoured of life, they left. And so now there's this ancestor core floating alone in the void. And because it's had no input for centuries, it's gone insane. (laughs) And so, whereas normally like a lost ancestor core, the Voton would go out of their way to try to recover it. They're like, no, no, we're staying. This one's crazy. Leave this one alone. Space. Yep. Again, going back to like references and things in this book, I love the fact that they incorporated the Tyranids ate the squats story into this codex. (laughs) Right. And they also included other sightings of the Votan, like them with the Tau, them with the Eldar, to kind of emphasize that they've traded knowledge with all of these other races but at the same time each of those races kind of gave them a different name because well they didn't know who they were right yeah no like that uh, was great too like there's been a a, like in the old tau codexes uh there's a discussion of well where did tau get ion technology well they got them from a rate and they got some uh space ion technology and some other things from a race called the demiurg and so for a long time there's been speculation in the like tau lore community like the demiurg are the squats and they are a a race like a client race for the tau and so but we've never seen them we never get to see them maybe i think there was like some mention of the demiurg ships at one point in like battlefleet gothic yeah. Yeah. And so but it was always a mystery. Now they've they have confirmed the kin have been referred to by mistake by the Tau as the Demiurg. Um the Eldari have a name for them. Uh other races call them like the Grome, the Craig, the Nostari. Um they've been known as squats pejoratively because everyone no one can decide if they're abhumans or actual Xenos. And yeah, they've had fights with Necrons because sometimes when they're delving in to get resources, they'll wake up a tomb world or uh, the, the leagues have run into the Tyranid and they're just like, ah, these guys suck. We don't fight them if we don't have to. <laughs> and know who they fight the most? <laughs> the orcs because dwarves. The orcs. Yeah. <laughs> well, and the orcs don't care about where they go. So you can find them in the galactic core. And everywhere yep. else. Yeah, because that's the other right. thing is that the, the Votan are primarily set up in and around the galactic core, which is an area that is horribly inhospitable to most species. Like, occasionally, other groups will send expeditions into the core to, like, find resources or to hide from something. And that's usually when they'll come across the Votan. But the Votan will occasionally also, because they're always in need of resources, will go... Uh, explore outwards, and that's where like the Hernkin pioneers come in. They're uh, 
the the biker groups is that's kind of their exploratory guild who go out and um, they you know find other worlds uh, interact with other species determine whether trade you know trade is workable with those species or if they're going to have to fight them and so that like their role as being like on the frontier of kin space is very important to them and then if they all can also send out like the Chthonian mining guilds to fight, like get resources in those areas that are particularly dangerous, and which is where we get the Chthonian berserks. And it's just a fascinating, uh, it's a fascinating culture to read about. They also have um, what they call the Ironkin, which are mechanical helpers that they'll basically build into bodies similar to kin themselves. And while they don't have true personalities, they have enough personality imbued into them to, you know, function as a, a member of a team. And as far as the kin are concerned, kin are kin. It doesn't matter if you're made of flesh or iron. You know, they don't, they don't see drones as like something sacrificial. That's just, it, it's another member of the group that needs to be, needs to pull their weight and also to be protected and, and taken care of. And they're able to protect and take care of them because they have technology that is way beyond, you know, like humanity has. And again, it leads to this point of, I, I really look at the species and it's like, this is what, like, one possible path humanity might have taken had they not had, like, the, you know, had they not fallen to, like, the dark mm -hmm. age of of technology and then, like, the age of strife and the heresy and everything. If they hadn't fallen into quite as much mechanical superstition no for sure i think things are the the leagues are kind of presented as a very interesting kind of what if for you know the imperium and uh i think mm -hmm. that's i think it's a really cool place for them to be because it's like you look at their weaponry and we'll talk about this when we get to the rules but they've you know we see a lot of things we there they have las rifles bolters plasma guns uh graviton weapons that all have like the trappings of what we see in Imperium technology, we even have conversion beamers, which we don't generally see outside of the Mechanicus. And so this this is all stuff that is that they have regularly available. So yeah, it's like what if humanity never lost a step is kind of at least technologically where the uh, Votan are. And even with with their warp technology, it's interesting that they've decided that with warp travel, um, slow and steady is the safest way to go about it. They they do have a void master on ship, uh, and then they have uh, wayfinder ironkin wayfinders, which rather than using a psychic navigator, they have wayfinders that can cogitate the best path through the warp, and they can do short controlled jumps, and they can have beings like the Grimnir who are who are engineered to be psychically active, but they don't use them to pull themselves into the warp. And also they have made sure that their technology, as far as like Geller fields and things like that, Geller fields and warp drives and such are flawless and perfectly taken care of. So they don't really have to deal with like demonic incursions and everything. And they don't spend long enough in the warp for it to be really a danger. So they're just like, we'll just jump, make short controlled jumps. Yeah. It'll take us a while to get there, but we'll get there and no one will go crazy and get possessed on the time. Well, <laughs> in that and trip. the other thing they mention about that, about the Grimner is they are psychically active enough to be able to activate the runes. And the runes are kind of where the power from the warp lies. So there's nothing for a demon to actually, there's no 
physical being. It's more like, oh, this is just an object that's doing this. That And it reminds me of the Eldar runes in a way of like, hey, we, we don't want to attract as much. So we're going to put all of our stuff in runes to help protect us. And I see the Votan doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's it's a really, really neatly thought out race i and i love what this faction brings to the game as far as as its narrative and then of course we mentioned the le- we mentioned the leagues and there are several leagues that have grown you know bigger than and, and more powerful than the others and that's like we've got the one that we see on a lot of the mark you know a lot of the the models they've released so far which is the greatest the greater thurian league it's one of the oldest of the original leagues and it's the it is the largest of leagues. Um, then you've got the uh, Trans Hyperion Alliance, the Cronus Hegemony, the Emir Conglomerate, the Urani Ur- Surter Regulates, which these sound more like corporations than anything, which I think mm-hmm. is kind of what they are. And then <laughs> there's a lot of smaller leagues that are briefly mentioned and not like featured, but are definitely available. Yeah, I would definitely say that like the the racial flaw of the the leagues, like kind of their grim dark secret is capitalism. It's <laughs> yeah. really kind of what I get from this, from reading the fluff in here. <laughs> well, and like we said earlier, it's they're very pragmatic. They're all about survivability, and one of the things to survive is trade. And so they've built up large commerce between them. And yeah, I mean, what's the best thing to support commerce than? Trade organizations or leagues? Yeah. No, yeah. it makes sense. I just, I just, oh, I, I just love the fact that, like I said, like their their factional like dark secret is capitalism. I just find that funny. <laughs> <laughs> and they will end up fighting amongst themselves from time to time over resources. And, you know, leagues will fight leagues because no, I was here first. No, I was here. And so, yeah, they capitalism is their is their weakness. And they and also so, fight other races for for resources as well. Thus, they have to have their own fighting forces. Yep, and uh, they are quite good at it, as we will get into. So, I think it's time to move into our actual rules discussion. So, uh, so here we go into ten things you need to know about the leagues of Votan. Uh, number one, uh, their kind of core mechanic is the kin are all about holding grudges, uh, which is a classic dwarf thing. You see it in the old world version of dwarves with, like, you know, the book of grudges. Like, if if anybody's played dwarves in, like, Total War Warhammer or in, you know, Warhammer Fantasy Battles, grudges are very much a thing. And so in the Leagues of Otan, this uh, is reflected in a rule called the Eye of the Ancestors. Eye of the Ancestors uh, in, requires every unit from your army to have the Votan keyword and belong to the same league, which is the equivalent of chapters in this book. Then enemy units will gain judgment tokens to a maximum of three throughout the battle. Here's how an enemy can gain a judgment. If an enemy unit destroys a Votan unit from your army, not just a model, an entire unit, then that enemy unit gets a judgment to- token. If an enemy unit successfully completes an action or a psychic action, they gain a judgment token. And at the end of each of your opponent's turns, you select an enemy unit within range of an objective marker that they control, and that unit gains a judgment token. So it's like, how dare you kill one of my units? How dare you do something in my presence? How dare you stand on that objective? That tracks. Yeah. 
And every time a Voton model from your army, not counting COG models, which are like the drone, the drone types, um, every time a Voton model, uh, excluding COG models from your army, makes an attack against a unit that has one or more judgment tokens, you get a bonus. If that unit has one judgment token, then on an unmodified hit roll of six, you automatically wound. If they have two tokens, then unmodified hit rolls of five up automatically hit and automatically wound. And if they have three, which is classified as now we've got a grudge to settle, unmodified hit rolls of four up all hit and automatically wound. And if an attack automatically wounds the target as a result of this ability, then for the purposes of any other rules that are triggered by a particular wound roll, the attack is considered to be a made with a wound roll of six, which will trigger on some of the weaponry. Yep. So uh, judgment tokens, like this army is, is about ha- you know handing out judgment tokens, but again, you have to be all from the same league, which is not a big deal. I mean, that's it's their way of kind of in. If you aren't playing with like a pure single you know mono league army you're giving up that that's basically how they're kind of like encouraging you to do that because otherwise you're giving up like Mm. a key mechanic of your army and there's a number of units that and stratagems that interact with that for example your your captains have the ability to hand out judgment tokens if they can see an enemy unit or you've got stratagems like uh hunter's mark Use a stratagem in your shooting phase before making a hit roll against a vo- uh, an attack made by a Voton model from your army. If the target unit has one or more judgment tokens, don't make a hit roll. It automatically hits. Nice. Yeah, and they have a relic that does that as well. As long as they got a judgment token, you hit and wound. It's it's great. Yeah. Or um, the Hearth Fist is a a mass gauntlet or concussion gauntlet. Read Power Fist. That uh, if you attack against a model has one or more judgment tokens, you do four damage instead of three. So there's just a, a lot of things that interact with judgment tokens. So uh, you are definitely encouraged to run a full uh, you know, mono league army. Now, as far as getting into combat, let's talk number two. Slow and steady wins the race, even if you're accelerated. Um, so this is not a fast army, and I would put this this army speed wise is on par with like uh, Death Guard, in that like most of the units in this army move five inches. Like that's they have a five inch. Move. They got well, yeah. They they have a few vehicles. <laughs> they ha- they have vehicles like the bikes and the Sagittars move twelve inches. The uh, Hecatons only move ten. But everybody on foot is moving five, with the exception of the Einher champion, who can move a bit faster because he's accelerated. And what now his base movement is still five. And where that accelerated comes in is they have a rule called steady advance. First of all, you can ignore any or all modifiers to your movement characteristic and any or all modifiers to your advance or charge rolls. Nothing can slow you down if you don't want it to. However, when you advance, you don't roll to advance. You instead just go three inches. <laughs> you always advance three. Unless you have the accelerated keyword, which is their bikes and like bikes, vehicles, and the Iron Here Champions, because he's basically got like a quasi jump pack that can allow him to like bound forward, in which case you uh, advance six. You don't roll. So this army doesn't roll for advancing at all, but it also means you'll never like get that, that clutch like, Oh, I need to advance four inches to get to that objective. No, you're going to be advancing three and that's it. 
I mean, it's good to know exactly how far you're going to go. So this kind of goes with them being practical. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'll take the, uh, I'll take the stability over, over rolling dice. So <laughs> how, how many times mean- have all of us rolled ones on advances? Oh God. So exactly. <laughs> exactly. And also being unable to be slowed down on charge rolls. That is also huge because there's a lot of armies that have abilities or, you know, that function around like I'm going to try to avoid getting hit by like th- doing something like halves your movement or slows down your, your like takes two inches Minus off your charge two inches, yeah. yeah. Well, that's that's and the whole way that like uh, Tau Pathfinder stay alive is you put a you put a repulsor drone in front of them and like it halves your, your assault move. So now that isn't a problem. <laughs> nope. So if they want to get there, they're going to get there. They just know they'll get there in their own good time, which is very dwarfy <laughs> to, to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and much like dwarves, that's going to take us to point number three. The kin are very resilient. Now, primarily, this is a tough four, tough five army. Uh, characters tend to be tough five. Well, actually, no, the cat, like, it's- I guess it depends on their armor. Exo armor. Yes. So you. Yeah, so there's a number, like a number of the characters are in exo armor. They are tough four, or no, they tend to be tough five. five. Yeah, calls tend to be tough five also, like they're cap. No, yeah. I guess only the, only Uthar is tough five. Well, he's special. Yeah. But you've got, yeah, most of your units are tough four. Anybody in exo armor is tough five. Your vehicles range anywhere from, like, your bikes are tough five your atvs like sagittars are tough seven the uh hecaton land fortress is tough eight it's a very resilient army as far as toughness um you know on par with like space marines armor wise they are it's like they're either a tough or like armor wise they're either a four up or a two up it seems like for the most part yeah, the heavier armors are all the two ups, and then you've got your normal troops, which kind of like the Eldar Guardians are only only a four up. So, like even the Pioneers are a four up. Yep. So it's like you think, well, okay, four up, that's that's doable, and it it would look to put them somewhere between like Space Marines and Sisters of Battle, and I think that's a pretty good spot to put them in. But on top of that, they everything in this army has the void armor rule because again, these are. Units that are used to being able to work in space and other dangerous environments, and so all their armor is very resilient. Even their vehicles are very resilient. Void armor provides two bonuses. First off, whenever you make an attack against this unit, you cannot re-roll hit, uh, wounds or damage. You cannot re-roll wound rolls, and you can't re-roll the result on damage. So, like, if you roll dam, like, let's say you do manage to get a wound in, and you've got, like, a D6 damage, and you ha- roll a two, you can't re-roll it. It, that they'll just take two and that's it. Also, every time an attack is allocated against a model in this unit, armor penetration is reduced by one. It's armor of contempt, baby. <laughs> Which is one of the rules I love and hate the most. <laughs> so again, they, they fit in this spot between like space Marines and sisters of battle where sisters of battle have three up saves throughout and space Marines have the tough, but you know, sisters are like tough three, but three up saves space Marines are, Four toughness and three up saves. This army is four toughness, four up saves, but also no rerolling wounds against them. And then all of them have that armor of contempt style ability. So uh, this army can shrug off a 
passable amount of damage especially with things like the like the fact that their vehicles have it as well even like the chthonian berserks which are kind of an outlier at a six up save still have void armor so they still have that ability of you can't reroll wounds against us and you can't re and uh, we reduce the ap by one right and in each of the things they have another way to be resilient as well a lot of the heavy armor ones reduce the damage by one the berserks pretty much have a feel up or a feel no pain built in, which is amazing. Yeah. So, and on top of that, uh, in their psychic powers, um, they have, <laughs> yeah, they're, let's see. Yeah. They have fortify, which, uh, you pick a friendly core or character unit within 12 inches. And until you start your next psychic phase, add one to their toughness and they gain a six up feel no pain, which to let you know, pretty much everything in this is core. If it's, it's either a core or a vehicle, character core or vehicle so right anything really right so you can get like you and when we get into leagues you can get tougher still when we talk about the individual leagues so yeah this this army is just going to shrug off a lot of damage just by virtue of being tough kind of along the lines of what we saw with like the new demons of nurgle where not a lot of special abilities necessarily just the ability to just be harder to wound Right, and then I'll, I'll toss in one stratagem here. The the luck has needs keep toil earns that was featured on Warhammer's community. It uses like in your movement phase, and a unit is just hopefully going to stay alive because they automatically pass morale. They ignore any rules that fa- make their actions fail, and any time they lose a wound on a d six, they roll a six and it's not lost. So feel no pain, six up. So they they can use a stratagem to make themselves kind of. I don't want to say indestructible, but they're going to, like, hang in there. Yeah, there's just a lot of just really good ways to just keep keep your units doing what they're supposed to be doing, regardless of what's coming, you know, coming at you. And if you need to respond in kind, that takes us to number four. The kin bring a variety of hot, new high-tech weaponry. Now, we always kind of knew this from, like, the weaponry they were showing off. But now we've actually got the rules on this weaponry, and they, they've they got some really nasty stuff they're packing. So first off, hunter weapons. <laughs> uh, there is no real, like, I, I don't think there's any, like, rapid fire or, like, there's a couple of assault weapons. It's very rare. Like, they the have, shotguns yeah, on the assault, Pioneer. A little pistol. They have pistols, but that's about and it. And they have a few heavy weapons on, like, the vehicles. But of course, the vehicles don't care about heavy weapon penalties anyway, so it's kind of pointless. But everything else, uh, their bolters, their you know plasma guns, their like las rifles, things like that, have hunter. And hunter is basically whatever the number of like it'll be like hunter three, for example. Hunter three means you fire three shots. Doesn't matter what range it's at. It's three shots. Now, you still give up the ability to shoot if you advance. These are not assault weapons. But, yeah, it's basically you get your full shots at range, no penalties for movement, just yeah. as long as you don't advance. And, and why that's important is some of these hunter weapons kind of feel like heavy weapons. Yeah. So being able to move and not have penalties is very nice. Yeah. Now, as far as the individual, like, beyond that, because some of these weapons are Hunter and other things as well, we've got Magna Rail weapons. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, so the Tau aren't the only ones who are rocking rail guns right now, and I would argue some of the Voton ones are potentially even nastier than the Tau ones. 
So anything that has Magna Rail has the following special abilities. First off, no invulnerable saves against it. Your force fields and whatever, don't care. I'll just put a round through it. The other thing is, on unmodified wound rolls of six, excess damage that weapon inflicts is not lost. Instead, it just spills over the way mortal wounds do. And we'll float that in with the judgment tokens, where if you yep. are then hitting on a four, five, or six, based on how many you have, oh, those are unmodified wound rolls of six. So, yeah, you can spill things over with your hit rolls. And for other note, these are AP minus four shots. So unless you're rocking two up armor, I guess Space Marines with Armor of Contempt would be three, and then you drop it. So they yeah, they'd they have a six sh- up save. Right. Five up if but, you're a Terminator. <laughs> yeah. So it's going to be hard to save, and then the wounds will spill over, which I think that's the biggest thing right there. Yeah. The biggest of the Magna Rail weapons is on the Hecaton Land Fortress. The heavy Magna Rail cannon, 36-inch range, a heavy one, strength 14, AP minus 4, 2d3 plus 6 damage. <laughs> so at least 8. You, at least 8, and if you roll a 6 to wound and you hit something that isn't just a single model, you're going to have a bad time, because that's going to be a lot of spillover. Um <laughs> But it's not just, like, that's not the only Magna Rail. Like, if that were the only thing, like the Tau Rail Cannon, that would be one thing. But the Hearthkin Warriors, their troop choice has the option to take Magna Rail Rifles. You can take... uh, One per ten. One per ten. The Magna Rail Rifle, Hunter 1, so no penalty for movement. Strength 9, AP minus 4, D3 plus 3. I mean, it's better than a LAS gun. (laughs) <laughs> or, you know, last can. <laughs> Way better than last can. <laughs> but only 24-inch range. And that's one thing we'll notice about the weapon ranges in this, is they pretty much cap out at, like, 36, and a lot of them are at 24. This is a mid-range army. Yeah. Uh, and then the other new weapon type they add in is beam. Uh, and beam is is similar to kind of things we've seen before, uh, where, like, you hit, if you hit something, you draw a line. Like, think the, the lantern that... Uh, yeah. Mortarian has. And this is, they just clarify, they made it a weapon type because multiple weapons in this book have this rule. And it's basically, um, every time a hit is made with a weapon, if a hit is scored, you draw a line between the closest point of the model and the closest model, model of the target. You make a wound roll against that one, and then a wound roll against every other unit it passes over that would have been a, a legit target. So, like, uh, and they even spell out with an example, like, if this unit would have been out of line of sight, it's not a valid target, so you don't have to roll the wound against that. But if you were hitting, like, the big stompy thing behind it, then you can still hit that. And then if there are people on top of the building who are in line of sight, you would still roll roll to wound them. And notice you don't have to roll to hit those units. You just have to roll to hit the original target, and there's just everything under it gets the wound. I like beam weapons. Yeah, beam weapons are cool, and that's where we start seeing, like, we've, like, the Broker Iron Master has a, a pistol that's a LAS beam cutter. Uh, we've got the Edicam Plasma Beamer on Hearthkin Warriors, the Ion Beamer on the Hermkin Pioneers that they can take. Sagittar can take a high LAS beam cannon. Uh, the conversion beamers are, of course, beam weapons. So, again, they made this a type so that 
this, you know, they can have this kind of like what we saw with the malefic weapons and demons, like rather than just repeat the rules for this every single time, we've just made it a type that we can reuse over and over again. Mm-hmm. And then what makes Beam even stronger is the core buster fire pattern stratagem. Because for um, each time an enemy unit is hit by another attack made by a beam weapon fired by a Voton model from your army, roll a d6 on a 4-up that enemy suffers one mortal wound in addition to the normal damage, but a unit can only suffer six mortal wounds per phase due to the stratagem. So, yeah, you hit somebody with a beam weapon, and then you use the stratagem, and then for the next six times you hit them, they can have a chance or not six, but you can do up to six mortal wounds to them. If you roll well with the rest of your beam weapons. Yeah. It's like, you can like, if you just lay down the fire on, on a single unit with a beam, you can really just put the hurt on it. That the Magna rail weapons don't have any special strats. They don't need them. They're nasty (laughs) enough as they are. And then on top of that, like you see a lot of ion weapons and plasma weapons, and none of these have the, like overcharged gets hot type rules. They just do what they do because they, these, this is a, a, a race that has mastered ion and plasma weaponry. And in fact, that, like I said, that's where Tau gets theirs, but theirs is better than the Tau ion weaponry because they don't risk hurting themselves. It's everything's like fully on. So like the Hearthkin warriors, uh, they can replace their bolters with ion blasters if they want, which cuts down the number of shots, but it goes f- like their bolter is Hunter 2, Strength 4, AP minus 1, 1 damage, to uh, the ion blasters are 18-inch range, Hunter 1, Strength 5, AP minus 2, 2 damage. So if you want to have a unit of Hearthkin Warriors that can just put out a lot of damage just with fewer shots... Um, there there's your good option and that's one where like stacking that in with uh you know with judgment tokens where you're just going to like get more auto hits and auto wounds with two damage each could be really solid as well their plasma guns are well one of their plasma guns is a beam strength eight ap minus three two damage beam so if you line it up right you can with an now granted it is only an 18 inch range and then they've also got plasma pistols but again two damage ap minus three strength eight that's solid. And they've got a lot of plasma melee weapons, too. Right. And those are all coming in. Basically, kind of power sword-ish. You know, AP minus yeah. three on a lot of those. And so, yeah, just a lot of, of very nasty guns. And their base, like, the base weapon that the Autark pattern bolter basically, you know, it puts them on par with Primaris Marines, but with even more shots at at 24 inch range because they are their hunter weapons rather than rapid fire weapons. So now we're going to take a, a break from like the rules that like all of these units share and we're going to swing over to the individual leagues. There are five leagues to choose from. We mentioned them earlier in the fluff section. Um, so we're going to go over them uh, briefly. So first off, we have the Greater Thurian League. Uh, and also all of these leagues... You know, we mentioned earlier when we talked about uh, the Eye of the Ancestors and Judgment Tokens that those only work when you have the entire army of the same league. If you have your entire army of the same league, then that league also has its own special Ancestral Judgment ability that keys in with Judgment Tokens. So if you take a full league, you get a third special ability that works with that mechanic. So there's the Greater Thurian League, which they are best at like just being efficient. In fact, their lead custom is called Ruthless Efficiency. So their models count as two models when controlling an objective, except for cogs. 
And if they have 10 wounds or more, they count as five models. And then on top of that, when a unit is selected to shoot or fight, you can reroll one hit roll or one wound roll from within those uh, units' attacks, which I want to say is similar to the uh, Housept ability. Yeah. I mean, this feels like just a very generic, here's the base, it's solid, it's good, it'll get the job done. And kind of in the fluff, they're they're the main league that has the largest amount of members. And then their Ancestral Judgment ability is whenever you make an attack against a target that has one or more Judgment Tokens, they are considered to have one more Judgment Token to a max of three when determining what bonuses apply. So the minute somebody's got a Judgment Token on them, you're hitting and wounding them on fives. Yeah, and you don't have to try and get them up to three Judgment Tokens anytime. You can just, you only need two max, and then you're you're good. I mean, that is very solid, especially with their... um, named character who can pretty much give one unit two judgment tokens right away. Right. And then if you oh no, use the stratagem to make it the second one, then have another one you can give another one to. So he can he's just judgment token everywhere. Right. It's yeah, crazy. they're I, I mentioned that grim efficiency rule. They have a strat called appraising glare, which is whenever uh, a mo- a call model from this league is you know uses that grim efficiency uh, ability. The enemy unit that's selected gets an additional judgment token. So yeah, that's you can get was. somebody. Yeah, you get somebody to three right away. And then the warlord trait from the high call lets you pick a second unit to have a judgment token. So yeah, it, it, they can dish them out quick. Right. Uh, next up, Trans Hyperion Alliance. This is a alliance that basically they they do a lot of exploring. They're used to working in in difficult situations, and they also are the closest to considering their Votan to actually be a god, as far as how much they worship it. Well, um, I also akin this one to the as the Psyker League because they're, they're relics tied to Psykers. Their warlord trait is kind of like um, Eldrad's. I'm going to reposition my units. So, exploration and psychers is how I see yeah. them. So, their abilities are whenever they make an attack, if they are if the unit is below starting strength, so the minute they lose a model, they add one to their hit rolls. Which, considering this army that is primarily hitting on twos and threes, um, yeah, that means they're they're going to be very effective in combat the minute they lose a model. Um, and then whenever they make an attack on an unmodified wound roll of six, the armor penetration gets better by one. So they're better at sticking wounds in that regard. Their ancestral judgment is every time a model with this custom makes an attack against a target with one or more judgment tokens, you reroll a wound roll of one. So basically, everybody's got a lieutenant when uh, somebody <laughs> has been judged. And also the thing on that armor penetration is if you hit with the judgment eye, like five, four, fives, or sixes. Well, those are your unmodified six, so you're going to have a yep. good chance to get that extra armor penetration on. Yes, which is one of the issues. I remember when we were talking outside of recording, you were concerned. Like, that was where one of the weaknesses you saw with uh, this army is getting wounds to stick. Yeah, they've got so they've got a lot of AP0, AP1, maybe a little AP2. It's just not high APs other than, like, the Magna Rails. And with most armies, well, because I'm considering Imperium most, um, having armor of contempt, your minus twos or minus ones, your minus ones or zeros. So it's like, eh, getting wounds to stick is going to be a problem. Well, here's a way your, your minus one here can help get those to stick, ignoring armor of contempt in a way. 
yeah, they, this this league has the ability to really stick in those extra wounds, and then as you mentioned, their relic. So the we'll get into like the the Grimnir and their assistance, but it gives their their assistance additional uh, wounds, and as long as there's one or more of those assistants around. They can deny. They can deny an additional psychic power and add one to those deny the witch tests as well. So it lets them really shrug off the psychic powers. I really like that relic. It's not my favorite overall, but I really like it. And their strat allows them to shrug off mortal wounds on a uh, five up. So uh, again, using that like devotion to not fall. Uh, then we've got the Cronus Hegemony. Uh, they are good in the. F- in fighting hand-to-hand. That's their thing. When they do the whole charge was charged or heroically intervened, they add one to their attacks and one to their strength. And most of them are going to be strength four or five, so yeah. Yeah, they're going to... That's how they're going to get those wounds in. And if they make an attack against a target that has two or more judgment tokens, their AP on their weapons goes up by one, which is pretty nasty because a lot of the melee weapons in this army are already starting at, like, AP three. (laughs) So... I mean, they're they're just going to cleave through things if they get up close. And even the warlord trait makes the warlord better at melee too. So it's like, yeah, if he's fighting characters or monsters, he gets an extra attack. He can reroll the hit roll just anytime he makes a melee attack. And if he's fighting a character or monster, he adds one to his wound rolls. Their relic is an AP four uh, <laughs> axe that ignores invulnerable saves, which means you're going I- to be getting those wounds in. If you like melee, this is the faction to pick. Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. And their strat lets their uh, unmodified hit rolls of six explode. In melee. <laughs> In melee. Then we have the Emir Conglomerate. If you are looking at high tech and range, this is the group for you. Um, their league custom adds four inches to the range of all their ranged weapons, excluding relics. Uh, which is important because, as we mentioned, this is a mid-range army. A lot of your ranges cap out at 24 inches, um, and this would get you up to 28. And in some cases, some of the heavy weapons would get you up to 40-inch range because some of them cap out at, like, 30 or 36. Um, and again, remember, your weapons are hunter, not rapid fire, so that's full. That's, like, your your weapon, like, your bolt rifles are now firing 28-inch range with two shots each. And four inches for an army that is this slow can mean the difference between being able to hit a target and not. And then on top of that, models in a unit with this custom that have a save characteristic of two up gain a four up and vulnerable save. Other models in the unit with this custom gain a five up and vulnerable save. So now your entire army has a five up invuln, possibly as good as a four up. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, I know when we originally talked in the past, I was looking at, well, what ones are purple? I like purple. I've got purple and cream and gold as kind of like a theme. And then we said, oh, none of the five leagues are purple because your beer is red and we got an orange and a green. And But then when I was reading through the rules, I'm like, man, I like having range. I like having that extra invulnerable save. Mm-hmm. I think this might be the league for me. So. And then their their judgment is when you're making a ranged attack at a target within half range, if that target has one or more judgment tokens, the AP of the attack goes up by one, which also will help you stick those wounds. Exactly. And, and that's half range of your expanded range, so it's still going to be like two inches larger than half range for anybody else. Right. Yeah. And I love uh, their stratagem, too. Yeah, stratagem is like when uh, an Emir 
conglomerate unit from your army is selected to shoot, you select one model in that unit and then select one beam weapon that it's equipped with. And until the end of the phase, each time a hit is scored with that weapon, the target suffers a mortal wound in addition to the normal damage. So it just has to hit. And yep. there's really only two units to use this on, which would be the Pioneers or the uh, Land Fortress, because those are the ones that have a beam weapon that does two shots, since all the others are just one. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, if you want to get an extra beam weapon, I, like just one extra mortal wound, I suppose you could use it on the others. But yeah, you'd want to use it when you have two shots. Yeah. And then finally, of the named... Uh, leagues, there is the Urani Surter Regulates. If you don't want your units to die, um, add what their league, league custom is they add one toughness. All their units are just one tougher. And you can reroll failed morale tests for them. They don't I mean, break. I foresee this one being like the main one people gravitate to just because they're already T4 or 5 with this league. You're T's 5, 6. You have a tough 9 land fortress. I mean, uh. <laughs> yeah, this one's, this one's going to be hard to crack. And then their ancestral judgment is every time a model with this custom makes an attack against target that has zero judgment tokens, they're considered to have a one judgment token. Yeah, which is also really nice because. Everyone's got judgment already. Yeah, this one is, is going to be a really popular choice just to stick on the table and just take advantage of all the all the abilities that this army yeah. can dish out. You, you can give the warlord a warlord trait that gives them five up, feel no pain. I mean, and they have a relic that says that a unit can't be targeted unless it's the closest model. So, yeah. So look out. Certain. No, I, I, I'm not the closest. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then if none of those are really, you know, flipping your switch, uh, then you've got the ability, unlike we had, we, which we did not see in the Chaos Space Marine Codex, but we have the ability to make your own league. And in fact, not only do you pick two league customs, but on top of that, you do actually select a third one that has to be a Ancestral Judgment ability. So even your custom leagues will have Ancestral Judgment abilities, which I think that was a nice touch for this. I really I th- did like that. I think that's a nice touch, but I will do my complaint here of how they set this up is I kind of wish they would have put like the league affiliated ones first. Cause like, Oh, you like that, but want a different thing here. You can do that, but they've got ancestral judgments and other abilities kind of scattered and mixed together. And you have to have one ancestral judgment and two others. And you're, you're kind of having to go back and forth. Is this ancestral? Is it not? And I would, would have rather had all the ancestrals like one section and all the others in another section. So you're like, from yeah. this, pick one. From this, pick two. Would have made it so much cleaner. Yeah. Cause they did that with, um, with the, all the other ones with like the sisters and Taos like that, where you can build your own, where it's like, pick one from this category, pick one from this category. So yeah, yeah. that, that seems like it would have made that a lot cleaner. I, I agree. The presentation could have been better. And I mean, the, you'll note that a lot of these are like some of the rules from the um, five named leagues. Not both of the rules, but like one of the rules looks like it gets put in here. So you can you can really mix and match and just look through. None of them actually, I'll, I'll say this, none of them called out to me. I mean, they had extra range. They had extra movement for vehicles. You thought, oh, that's what he likes. But I'm like, eh, not really. No, here's here's the <laughs> one I'm seeing for you, Dennis. If you really want to paint them purple, but still kind of run the, some of the Emir stuff. Weaponsmiths, which adds four inches to your range. Superior beam capacitors, add one to the strength of all beam weapons, and each time a unit is with this custom is selected for core, core buster fire powder stratagem, the stratagem costs zero. 
I mean, I did look at that, but I think I like the Ymir stratagem better. And so doing Ymir, I can do both that and the superior beam stratagem. Fair enough. Fair enough. I do like that the ancestral judgments are not copies of the ones from other. Yes. Mm-hmm. Ancestral judgments are all unique. So you can make something that feels like a little bit of a spinoff, but real, really still does have its own vibe. Or like you said, you can go league affiliated and just like, I want to play, I want to play Emir, but I don't want to play Emir. <laughs> I don't know. I'm kind of viewing them like you had with the Blood Angels. I was like, I've never really had a red army. I can paint that and do that. And I've never used transfers before. Let's see if I can do that too. So mm-hmm. that's kind of my, some of my goals I want to try with this one. No, that's, that's cool that this is like the, your chance to expand out the hobby. By doing something very different. All right. Now we're going to get into particular data sheets. Um, And so that takes us to number six. Now, normally when we do these top 10 things, we don't cover a lot of the units. But in this army, there are 12. There are 12 data sheets. And they're all new. Like, none of these are like, hey, if you're familiar with this one, now it does this instead. Or, you know, it's like been tweaked slightly. Or like this class of things has been tweaked. No, we're going to actually talk about the data sheets. Um, but we're going to break them out. Hey, we're going to do a know your role thing. We're going to break them out by <laughs> by role type. Woo-hoo. There you go. That's we're getting back. Not into the it. same, but I know where you're going. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So number six, almost half the unit choices in this book are HQ choices. Yeah, you posted that on there and I was like, what, really? And yeah, of the 12 units, five of the 12 are HQ. Mm hmm. And one of them is a named character, so technically only a quarter of them are available to every uh, every league. One of them is specifically Greater Thurian League. Yeah, with as much as I would love to use him, uh, yeah, I'm not going to do Greater Thurian, but oh my gosh, he is a reason to play Greater Thurian. Oh, he's fantastic. Uh, we'll get to him last because I want to talk about the generics and then we'll get back <laughs> to him. Uh, so first off, there's the call. And the call is basically the captain equivalent. Um, uh, he does the, uh, you know, he's got the aura of reroll hit rolls of one for core units within six inches of him. Um, he has a four up and vulnerable save, uh, and he can, he has the grim efficiency rule where he can hand out judgment tokens. If he can, like he sees an enemy unit once per turn, just give that unit a judgment token in your command phase. And base, he comes with the rampart crest, which also, gives a bubble of five up invulnerable to model or units that are within six inches of him. So right. it's, it's kind of like a tech pre not tech priest, the orc guy. Yeah. Custom force field. Yeah. Custom force field guy running around, but you can also trade that out for instead a teleport crest, which allows you to deep strike him. Yes. If you want to do that. And I kind of like that idea of deep striking being like a trade off choice. Yes. Uh, and it adds the teleportation keyword, which also unlocks a strat, which I want to talk about later when we get to uh, <laughs> Einhir Hearthguard. Um, and then, yeah, his his base options are a combi bolter, which is Hunter 4, and a uh, plasma axe, which is uh, you know, strength, plus 1 strength, AP minus 3, 2 damage. He can trade out that... Uh, combi bolter for a vulcanite disintegrator i didn't add vulcanite weapons to our list of special weapon types because there's only like a couple of them here but basically the vulcanite weapons if you do an unmodified hit roll of six they inflict a mortal wound and and then stop there and then uh he can trade out for a mass gauntlet which is basically a power fist 
kind of. It, it's only plus three strength rather than double, but, and, but I don't know. I don't really like all the weapons that subtract one from hit rolls. Right. I mean, he is hitting on twos most of the time, but yeah. Uh, and you're only getting one more damage for it because the axe is two damage, the fist is three damage. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I, I the I could definitely see sticking with the axe in that case. Uh, then we've got the Einher champion. He is it, your lieutenant equivalent because he has the bubble of, but only for Hearthguard, which is their uh, terminators. The, <laughs> yeah, their terminators. Which is, it's an odd choice that he's in the main box, but he is the only. But there are no Hearthguard to take advantage of. Like, he's in the army box, but you, there's nobody to take advantage of that rule. I mean, but. I will agree, but at the same time, he can be a just a melee beater all by himself. True. Yeah. And he he can be quite nasty. Uh, he's, he's in Exo-Armor, which, you know, they've shown off the Exo-Armor before, um, which gives him the extra strength and extra toughness. Uh, so he's strength... Toughness five, five wounds, two up armor, and he starts with a wave field crest, which gives him a sixth wound and a four up invulnerable. I mean, you, you can trade that wave field for a teleport, but unless you're doing shenanigans with him, why? <laughs> yeah, and he starts equipped with a another with a combi bolter, just like the call, and a mass hammer, which is basically a thunder hammer, and that does double his strength. Yes. <laughs> I mean, you I might take one this to hit, subtract yeah. one. I mean, that that's strength ten minus three AP D three plus three damage. I would I would take the minus one to hit for that much damage. Yeah, and with Exo Armor, as we mentioned earlier, he reduces all incoming damage by one. Anytime a melee attack is made against him, you subtract one from their wound roll. And remember, they're not allowed to re-roll if they fail because he has Void Armor. And anytime he ends, he makes a charge move. You select an enemy unit within range uh roll a d6 if you rolled an unmodified six or if it equals or beats their toughness high then sisters they take and eldar a, yeah <laughs> um, then they suffer d3 mortal wounds just because he runs into them so hard <laughs> and and once again the model is just so awesome yeah just the way you can see the armor and the sh- the shield side is there's so much detail and on these yeah, i can't wait to put them on a table uh, then we have the Grimnir, who is uh, the Psyker in this army. Although, as we mentioned, they are only marginally actually psychic. They're more just tapping into runes, which keeps them safer. But functionally, as far as the rules go, they are a Psyker. And uh, they are accompanied by two Corves, which are um, little floaty drones with like little raven head designs and covered in runes. And basically, the Corves are there to absorb perils. <laughs> and uh, and other attacks because yes. the Grimnir himself or like himself or herself and I appreciate that the uh, model can be made either as old man dwarf or as like wise woman with like big like white braids <laughs> I do I do like that bit of uh, customization that they offer basically the corves are there to like if you suffer perils from the warp you just destroy one of the corves instead and ignore perils and if you lose a corv, it never counts against your morale. Um, they also add uh, a six-inch bubble of better combat attrition, so they are a morale booster. Well, the, adding one to your combat attrition is huge because if you're above half strength, you only fail on a one, so you're not going to fail. Right. And I think if you put them with the one where your combat attrition can't ever change or you ignore all modifiers, 
well, that with a Grimnar clothes, you're, you're just not failing until you're all dead. Right. Yeah. So it's like a little bit of chaplain, a little bit of, and then psych librarian mixed in there as well. Uh, and then finally, as far as our generics, we have the Broker Ironmaster, which is Tech Marine-ish, but is also, with some of the other things that will get added on in a bit, can become a real great support character. He um, is a force, more, not force multiplier, but oh my gosh, all the stuff he brings. Yeah. So first off, uh, in your command phase, you can select a core or vehicle model within nine inches, and if you do so, they add one to their hit rolls. Now, note that one does not necessarily kick in to, uh, with Eye of Judgment because those have to be on unmodified. So if you roll a three, if you're fighting against somebody who has like three judgment tokens and you roll a three, he's not going to get him to the auto, you know, to the auto wound. But still adding one to hit rolls again, when most of this army hits in on ballistics, you know, has ballistic skill three up, you're just pretty much guaranteeing, you know, hits and then. If he's within three inches of a vehicle or exoframe model, he can restore up to D3 lost wounds. But wait, that's not all. That's not all. Um, also, if this unit contains an Ironkin Assistant, which this unit starts with the Broker Iron Master, an Ironkin Assistant, and three cogs, three E-cogs, the Ironkin Assistant can basically perform actions while he's shooting, which is I mean, it's modeled with a separate model, but I love that idea. It's like, here, I'm going to shoot this guy. You do that thing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and I always love abilities that let you do an action while you're doing other things. And this allowing you to advance and still do an action or and or shoot and still do an action. Oh, that's just yes. very nice. Right. And then the E-Cogs, as long as he's got one of those three cogs around, every time he repairs something, they gain an additional wound. So it becomes two to four wounds restored so basically a better as you know a better tech marine than a tech marine and much like the corves the ecogs never count for uh morale although the iron can assistant does because remember kin or kin whether they're made of iron or flesh <laughs> right and then we get the named character uthar the destined who is the high call God. of uh the greater thurian league and uh yeah he is he's beefy he is not in Exo Armor, but he does have Strength 5, T5, 6 wounds. He has a Rampart Crest, so he's got the 6-inch bubble of 5-up invulnerable against range attacks for everybody. He's got the Greater Thurian, you know, he does the same aura of 6 inches, reroll hit rolls of 1 for Greater Thurian League Core. He has the High Call ability, which is the Chapter Master ability. Pick a core or character model within 6 inches of the Greater Thurian League, and they can reroll hit rolls. Every time an attack is allocated to this model, it's damage 1. Not reduced by one. It's damage one. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's I think, that his defining trait of just changing the damage of anything to one. So, and he's and, six wounds already, so. Yeah, so it's going to take six attacks to kill him. Uh, Ancestral Fortunate, here's the other thing, because he already had, he, like, he has the four up and vulnerable save, he has the grim efficiency, but then Ancestral Fortunate, once per battle round, when you make a hit roll, wound roll, damage roll, or saving throw for this model, or a friendly Greater Thurian League unit, not core. Like, it does not specify core, it's just any Thurian League unit. Within six inches, you can change that rule to a six, and for any rule's purpose, it counts as an unmodified six. Do you need that Magna Rail weapon to go off? It just did. <laughs> yeah. Does that guy only have one? That guy that I just gave a judgment token, does he need to die? Yeah, guess what? You just hit him with a six. <laughs> <laughs> and 
and, and we'll probably get this later, but he also is so powerful. He's got two warlord traits. Yeah, he has the ancestral bearing and experienced eye warlord traits. Ancestral bearing uh, gives all his abilities an extra three inches. So, like anything in his command phase that specifies a range or uh, adds range to his or his aura abilities are all three inches longer. So he's got a nine inch bubble of reroll ones and a nine inch choice of reroll all hit rolls yeah. and a nine inch. Uh, you get a six. <laughs> Yeah, the only one that doesn't affect is the Rampart Crest because that can never right. be modified. Right. It's and it specif- specifically calls out ancestral bearing as not applying, and then the experienced eye ability, which is the Greater Thurian League. It's the high tra- call. Yeah. No experienced eye is off the high the high call warlord. Or is it off the high call? Yeah. Okay, which we, we will it's get a, to. Okay, we'll get to that when we get to the high calls. Which it's is the next nice. thing we're going to do. So, so okay. Yeah, so he gets a special warlord trait here. So that takes us to... We've talked about all the HQ choices. Now let's talk to, about number seven. The Votanic Council is the kin's answer to chapter masters and the like. And I say that because this functions very similarly to... Like, we've, like every codex has its way of upgrading particular units by spending some power and points to give them an enhanced ability. This one is handled very much the same way as... Uh, like chapter master, master litany, master fleet, you know, things like that. Uh, so you've got the high call option. This makes your, a regular call into a high call, which gives them that same chapter master pick a unit within six inches and they can reroll all their hits. And they make sure the high call does not count against the hero of the oathbound rule. Uh, there are very few special rules when building a, uh, an army for the, uh, for the League of Votan, the one thing is here at the Earthbound, you can have one call per detachment. Mm-hmm. Uh, the In this case, the high call does not count against that. So you can have a call and a high call. But only one of each. <laughs> only one of each. And uh, this upgrade is two power and plus two power and 40 points. It is not a cheap upgrade. <laughs> but the ability you get is the efficient exemplar, which is an ancestral judgment ability. You know, whenever you destroy an enemy model that had one or more judgment tokens, you select an enemy unit that you can see, they gain a, a judgment token. So you're just transferring your judgment over. It's like, right. I'm done with this one. You can now <laughs> face right. my wrath. And then the warlord trait they get, which is the one, the other one that uh, Uthon can have, is experienced eye. You can use that grim efficiency uh, one more time against a different unit. So you can give two judgment tokens out one to each unit and remember if you're playing greater thurian league that means they count as having two judgment tokens so yeah (laughs) so if you want to make your own high call of the uh greater thurian league you are totally able to do so and they'll probably be almost as good as uthar i do like how I mean, you don't get the Warlord traits automatically. You have to either be the Warlord or spend the point to get it. But I like the fact that these almost named character-esque can have, like, as they say in the thing, bespoke Warlord traits. Yes. Uh, Then next up, you've got the Lord Grimnir. If you want to have a high Grimnir in your army, um, Lord Grimnir can manifest one additional psychic power. They can already manifest two. So this gets them up to three, which makes them very good psychers. And their ancestral judgment ability is when you attempt to manifest the a psychic power from the Skynrot discipline. If there are enemy enemy units within eighteen inches of the Lord Grimnir with one or more judgment tokens, you don't even have to be targeting them. They just have to be within eighteen inches of you. You add one to the psychic test. 
Yeah, you're you're drawing upon the judgment to get better at psychic. <laughs> right. So if you need to fortify a unit that is like fortify a unit that's within range of a like that's going to be fighting an enemy unit and that enemy unit is close enough to you and has been judged, you can it's easier to make that unit tougher even, which is really nice. And then their warlord trait is adding 6 inches to the range of all their psychic powers, which is also nice. A lot like a lot like their guns had like a mid-tier range. The psychic powers are like 18 inches mostly. So, I mean, most psychic powers only ever go up to 24, but this kind of gives it that extra boost to get up out there. And then there's the Broker Forge Master, which enhances, obviously, a broken iron, you know, the Broker Iron Master. Yeah, this one is crazy (laughs) with this stuff it adds. First off, once per battle round, if this model's on the battlefield, when you use a Votan War Gear stratagem, so specifically stratagems that key off of particular War Gear words... Um, then it, if you're using that against, or using that on a stratagem, or using that stratagem on a unit within six inches of the Forge Master, the CP costs one less for that use. And then their, uh, Ancestral Judgment, every time they make an attack on an unmodified wound roll of six, which remember, keys with judgment tokens, if the target of that attack has one or more judgment tokens, the attack inflicts a number of mortal wounds, on the target, equal to the damage characteristic of the attack, and the attack sequence ends. Yeah, I like that. And if it was with a beam weapon, it also applies to enter in any intervening units that are hit by that beam that also have one or more judgment tokens. I mean, that's just... That's one of the reasons I like this upgrade, is, is that rule right there. And then his warlord trait is, uh, anytime he's using the repair, they just gain three lost wounds instead of d3 and yes if they have a cog that just means four wounds and uh once per battle round when a saving throw is failed for a friendly vehicle or exoframe model within six inches of the warlord uh they can just reduce the damage to zero i also i mean you guys saw when i used that reduce the damage to zero on the um autark for the eldar yeah that's just such a nice ability and you just park him next to a land fortress <laughs> and yeah okay yeah I don't even have to finish it. You just know. <laughs> yeah. So, like, all three of these are good upgrades. And, uh, yeah, you can't have more than one model from the same league with the same Volcanic Council in a single army. And given, like, the number of those characters that you'd likely run, it's it, I would find it unlikely that you would try to. But still, it there it's a cool set of upgrades. And I also like there's only three of them that it's not... Because of the virtue of this book having so few units, we don't aren't like glutted with a whole bunch of these options. There's just three, but they're all meaningful. They're all good, and it just depends on like which direction you want to go with and where you want to spend your points on. All of them. <laughs> I mean, you could. You absolutely could. I mean, you wouldn't yeah, get all the warlord traits. Well, I guess you, you you could with the stratagem. Yeah, but. Like you said, when you're building out, you're not going to have enough points for everything you want. But that's true for most armies. <laughs> right. All right, now we're going to move over to elite choices, of which there are two. And so number eight on our list is your elite choices are basically Terminators or Repentia. Now, what I mean by that <laughs> is you've got two options. One is Einherr Hearthguard. Uh, we already saw the Einherr champion. This is the Einherr Hearthguard who he can, can bump up. And, I mean... Strength 5, T5, 2 wounds, 2 up armor save. They are equipped by default with a plasma gun, an exo armor, like an Adakarn 
plasma gun, an exo armor, grenade launcher, a concussion gauntlet, i.e. power fist, and a wave field. And then the sergeant equivalent, the the hasier, is equipped with a wave field crest. So the sergeant gets a four up and vulnerable and a th- and three wounds. Now remember, if you're playing Emir conglomerate, everybody here has a four up armor save or a four up and vulnerable save because they have two up armor. Yeah, so I'll just move over to the teleportation crest. (laughs) Right. Um, They have exo armor, so it reduces all their incoming damage by one. And yeah, basically these guys serve the same role as Terminators would. They are heavy infantry that can take some damage. They have, you know, one more wound than the average, than like the hearth or the uh, hearth can do. Um, They're... They are equipped with better weapons. I mean, the the plasma gun is a 24-inch Hunter 1 Strength 8 AP-4 2-damage gun, and the grenade launcher is a blast weapon on top of that. And the grenade launcher is also Hunter, so it's not like you're having to not fire anything else to throw a grenade. And ah, that 24 inches of Strength 8 AP-4 2-damage is just... It's very solid. Right. And then, like, the power, the, the concussion gauntlet is plus three strength, you know, minus two AP, two damage, or you could trade up for concussion hammer, which gives you the double strength and the extra damage, but you are minus one to hit. That is one nice thing about the concussion gauntlet is you are not at a minus one to hit with it. Yeah, and you're still strength eight. I mean, I, I'm, I'm kind of between that or the plasma gauntlet. It's just like, hmm. Yeah, the plasma blade gauntlet is basically a power sword that gives you an extra attack. Yeah, I'd probably go with the concussion gauntlets. The hammer, I, I might still go with the hammer on the sergeant, just because... Oh, maybe not. Because, once again, going from two damage to three damage... Right, he's jumping the only from strength, one who can, who can take the hammer anyway, so... Right, and jumping from strength eight to strength ten, uh, neither of those are giant leaps. Right. So Yeah, I, I think with that, yeah, I think I'd, I would probably stick with the concussion gauntlet. I mean, it's good enough. Same. Yeah. But, yeah, this... And then you can replace that uh, wave field crest with a teleport crest. And besides letting the unit uh, deep strike, it also unlocks a stratagem, one of those uh, war gear stratagems, which, hey, that broke your uh, forge master can allow you to use for free, or at least for one less, called a site-to-site transport. Use the stratagem at the start of your movement phase, select one Voton teleportation unit from your army, and remove it in the battlefield. In the reinforcement step of the movement phase, set the unit back up on the battlefield anywhere more than nine inches away from any enemy models. Uh, and you can't select this the same unit to use the stratagem more than once per battle. So you can't jump one unit around. But, you know, but... Uh, and if you selected a character, it costs one CP. Otherwise, it costs two. So to do the whole unit would cost two. But being able to basically shunt any unit with the teleportation keyword around is really nice. Yeah, especially since the army's so slow. Like being able to rapidly redeploy is huge. I will toss this out as well. There is a stratagem that lets a non-character have a relic, and one of those relics they can have because it's like a certain list is the Warp Strix, which is for a teleportation model only. And the biggest thing there is once per battle, when you use the site-to-site teleportation stratagem, if you select the bearer's unit um, for that stratagem, it costs zero CP. Oh, nice. And then in addition, um, enemy units cannot be set up within 12 inches of this unit instead of the normal nine. (sighs) That disruption ability is always really nice to have. So, I mean, this is a really nice relic that can actually go on, well either a character or this model because the other sergeant can't take teleportation. (laughs) (laughs) 
what the the champion no the champion can he can change no, the, the way the crest the, the thirn the hearth oh. or the troop sergeant oh right right so but yeah any of the characters that have it can but this is the only person in a unit that can have it right but yeah the uh yeah the the hearth guard there's a lot of potential for shenanigans used here, and otherwise, it's just like an anvil unit that can just take that kind of damage. And again, with void armor and exo armor, this like it, you're going to be hard pressed to do a lot of damage against these. Now, on the flip side, we've got the Chthonian Berserks, who I <laughs> liken to Repentia, and that is because they've got a six up armor save. I mean, even at two wounds each, strength five, T five, so a very similar stat line except for that armor save. And they are all about going in for close combat. Uh, three attacks each. They start equipped with a heavy plasma axe, which is either a power sword that does two damage, or they can sweep with it and double their double their number of attacks. They just lose the plus one strength and only do one damage each. But they can go in and clear out a, a unit or go after like one big thing and have more strength and more damage. But they also have a five-up uh, feel no pain, which becomes a four up if the damage res- if the damage characteristic of that attack was only one. So, like if you shoot them with a bolter, they get a four up feel no pain against it. In addition, they reroll charge rolls, and if when they die, they still fight when when they would fight normally. If they haven't fought this phase, then uh, I should say they fight as soon as whatever killed them is done fighting. So yeah, like these things will, they're going to do their damage. If they can get into close combat, they will do the damage. They can have like, all of them can replace their uh, plasma axes with concussion malls, which are thunder hammers, which, you know, strength. This is a case where you could actually see taking some of those because it's a difference between strength six and strength 10. Yes. But you, you know, you are minus one to hit with them, which their weapon skill is only three up. So that will like that will take them to a four up. That does hurt a little bit. And then one every five models can take a twin concussion gauntlet, which is dual power fists. Which that's I would do that because like yeah, strength, strength, yeah, strength eight, one additional attack. So you know, swinging with four attacks. Uh, yeah, that one's a pretty, uh, pretty good choice. And then on top of that, there's an kind of an odd choice here. The mole grenade launcher, and this one just like really threw me. And then I, especially when I saw the uh, like the combat patrol artwork, or like the the photo of the combat patrol, because the combat patrol comes with a unit of these, and one of them is on like a larger base because mm-hmm. he's got an ironkin with him who's carrying around his plasma axe while he uses the grenade launcher. He's got his own little robot buddy, and uh if you take the the mole grenade launcher, it adds one like they gain a wound and an attack because they've got an extra body with them. And the mole grenade launcher, like it, it doesn't take away their power axe. It's an additional thing because again, they got the robot carrying their power axe, you know, the plasma axe for them. But it's a twenty four inch range blast weapon, hunter d six, strength five, AP minus two, one damage can uh, ignore line of sight. And it gives you the subterranean explosives keyword. Because the idea is these grenades actually can burrow into the ground and explode. And that matters for another Wargear strat called uh, subterranean explosives, appropriately enough. Um, that uh, when a subterranean explosives unit from your army is selected to shoot, 
uh, until the end of the phase, you subtract one from the the wound roll. So you're less likely to hit because you're burying these rather than uh, setting them off right when they hit. And if you hit score a hit against a target that is not to ti- not Titanic and can't fly, then until the end of their next shooting phase, they have their movement and they can't fight until everybody else that's eligible fights. So you slow them down with it. I'm not sold on it. Yeah, it's a, it's such a weird... Like, fluff-wise, I get it because they are miners, like the Cthonian yeah. Mining League. But mechanically, it's just it's such an odd fit for that particular unit. It doesn't suit anything yeah. else they do. I mean, if it also prevented them from standing firm or firing Overwatch, or set to defend or firing Overwatch, that I could see better because then you shoot that and then you charge. Yeah, it's... I mean, it is nice that it that it does. Uh, like I said, it it makes them attack. You know, you can use that stratagem to like make them attack last and things like that, which is useful. But it this seems like it should be like f- quite frankly, this should be on the Hearthkin Warriors as like a weapons team. Like that's really where it should be. It uh, it feels really out of place being on a melee unit. I don't disagree, and the fact that it's like one of like the model that you add is like an Ironkin in Hearthkin armor. Makes it feel like, yeah. yeah, it really should, it belongs here instead. So it's it's an odd design choice. I mean, it's kind of nifty. I don't know if you'll see them all that much. I am not putting one in a mind unit. I'll probably yeah. get the model sometime, but. <laughs> well, I mean, I think the model will come with the, I don't, well, I don't know if it's going to be a separate model that you buy, but it's included in the combat patrol. So I'm wondering if it's going mm. to be part of the Hearthkin, or not the Hearthkin, the Chthonian Berserks box when it is yeah, I, I would think so. I would think See, it would I, be. I, I'm guessing it would be a separate thing where you, otherwise you'd have what, seven or six models in there? Five for the squad and one for this extra one. Well, you might, no, or might not no use. I imagine, I imagine it'll be cause like, yeah, cause the combat patrol, they figure, they show five models and I'm assuming it's going to be a Chthonian that can be built one of two ways. Either, either ways. Yeah. Just two different bases in there. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's my guess. Okay, so that's that's our elite choices. Um, honestly, like I think it really comes to taste which which of those you pick because I think they're both they're both good in their own ways. Uh, then we get to our fast attack choices. Uh, number nine, your fast attack choices are obsec bikes or transport squadrons. Uh, yeah. Let's talk Kernkin pioneers because they're just cool. <laughs> yeah, the models look amazing, and uh, like I bemoaned to you guys as soon as I, I saw that, is the fact that they can be obsec. I'm like, why can't my my wind riders from the Eldar be obsec? They used to be troops. Why can't they be obsec? <laughs> and these are obsec like at the army rule level. Like they straight up yes. say like all all Hearthkin warriors and Hernkin pioneers in your army are objective secured. You know, and also remember, if you're playing Greater Thurian, they count as two models for holding an objective, which is important because there's only three models base in the unit. It can get up to six. Just, yeah, movement twelve, which makes them one of the fastest units in the army. Uh, weapon accelerated. Still three. Yep, accelerated. So they auto they advance six when you advance. T five, three wounds, four up armor. So not the most resilient, but T five helps. And uh, hey, if you're doing Urani Surter, that's T6. Oh, God. T6 bikes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then uh, they're equipped with a, like, normally they're equipped with a bolt revolver, a bolt shotgun, and a magna coil autocannon and concussive grenades. Um, the 
auto cannon is a decent strength seven ap minus one two damage what we normally see on an auto cannon hunter three so with 24 inch range not surprising there and then for every three models uh, one unit can be equipped with one of the following, which does not replace that auto cannon. It just uh, just adds to it. You can add a high las rotary cannon, an ion or an ion beamer. If you add that, you add an attacker wound because you actually have an extra guy hanging on the back <laughs> of the bike as a gunner. Who's the gunner? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you get uh, the the high las rotary cannon hunter nine strength six yeah. AP minus two one damage. I mean, the nice thing about that is if you want to make sure you get some judgment tokens or like damage through nine shots is going to get a few through. Right. <laughs> or there's the ion beamer, which is the, the one of those rare hunter two beam weapons. Yeah, I like it. I mean, both those are solid choices and one per three. I mean, that's fair. I mean, put your heavy air quote heavy weapon. I say I use air quotes there because, oh, my gosh, they already still have, like you said, the auto cannon. They've got a bolt shotgun, which is assault. So you can actually advance to go your 18 inches and still fire the shotgun. And if you're in close combat, you're not a vehicle, but you've still got your pistol at least. So it's like they have an answer for each situation. Yeah. And then on top of that, up to three models in this unit uh, that don't have that guy on the back can instead have uh, one of the following options for extra war gear they can take. A roll bar searchlight, a panspectral scanner, or a multi-wave comms array. Now, the searchlight and the scanner each remove a kind of cover. So the searchlight removes dense cover, which gets rid of that uh, minus one to hit. And the panspectral scanner gets rid of light cover, which gets rid of the plus one armor save. Uh, also adds the scanner keyword, which interacts with uh, some stratagems. Uh, and then there's the multi-waves comms array, which you will want to use a call if you use if you take this, because basically you gain the comms keyword, and while the bearer is within 24 inches of a friendly call from the same league, the bear's unit is considered to be within range of the kindred hero, which means they can re-roll... Uh, hit rolls of one if they're within 24 inches yeah and i will toss this out on building the models itself you there are parts for each of those and they do kind of take the back of the vehicle which is the same place where the other person stands with the gun so yeah that's why you can't have both well rules reasons and model reasons so i I do think it's really neat they they modeled all that into the model slash rules and uh, the scanner keyword works with a strat that allows you to shoot something that came in from re- uh, f- as reinforcements. And the comms keyword allows you to select unit within 12 inches that can no longer benefit from auras. Yeah, I really like that part. I thought Searchlight also had a strat. Yeah, Searchlight lets you um, select an enemy unit that has was hit by one or more ranged attacks. Um, this phase, if every unit in army's from the same league, okay, Bob. The selected unit gains a judgment token. So searchlights can help give judgment tokens if you spend this CP for it. So all of these have benefits that you can that they can bring to the table. Yeah, they can bring that both either just stock or using a stratagem to get an extra benefit. Mm-hmm. The, all of those upgrades are five points apiece. So if you've got the room to fit them in, I would like even in a unit of three, I would look at picking at least two of them and i'm like especially the comms array being able to shut off uh, you know to yes. deny a unit the benefit of an aura is huge well and i think my take on them is 
two boxes, get the two different types of weapons, you have six, but only ever run five because of mm-hmm. blast. <laughs> I mean, if you're not afraid of blast, put all six in there. Because right. if you're doing points, well, you're fine. If you're doing power level, oh, well, you're, you're underpointed then slightly. But that's also the only way you can run all three of those in the same unit is having at least four models and right. still having a heavy weapon, which you want those weapons. <laughs> yeah, no, those weapons are good. The weapons, the, those weapon upgrades are 10 points a piece as well. So just, and the bikes are 30 points a piece. So a unit of three with a weapon, like one of the back weapons and two upgrades is going to be like 110 points. Yeah, that, that's not bad. No, it's not bad. Uh, your other fast attack choice is well, the Sagittar. I'll do w- w- oh, go, one more. They they do have the move at the, before the first turn ability as well, so you ah, can actually yeah, was... position them like <laughs> where you need them up front. Right, which yeah, is very being nice. able to get that that free scout move is always huge, and a T- scout move T- up, scout up to bikes? twelve inches. Yeah, I mean, th- these are good good unit. Yeah. Uh, then your other fast attack choice is the Sagittar, which is not a dedicated transport. It is a fast attack choice, which I thought was interesting. But I guess because of how it handles transport in that other than Chthonian Berserks, you can't fit a whole squad into these, into one of them. Yeah. You can take them in squadrons of two, in which case, like all squadrons, they split off and become their own things after deployment. And uh, if the unit contains two models, you can split a unit of 10 Hearthkin Warriors or Berserks between them and let basically combat squad them, which they, they had talked about that earlier. We were pretty sure that's how it was going to work. And yes, you just it just combat squads. Um, they are a T7 nine wound vehicle, so they don't degrade. Uh, move 12, um, three up armor, which gives them one of the... You know, a, a decent better armor save, better than the uh, the pioneers, which only have a four up. And uh, I mean, there's they're really not much special about. They are accelerated, so if you need to advance with them, they'll automatically advance six. Uh, they cannot transport much like a rhino can't hold terminators. These cannot transport exo armor or exo frame models. I mean, uh, which the is only nice one exo frame unit, but right. And the nice thing, I think, besides the splitting your 10-person um, squad into two five-person squads is they're heavy weapons they can take. Because here, again, is a high-last beam cannon, which is heavy two beam. So here's another big beam you got. Or if you want range, there's the missile launcher, which can be focused or blast. So you've got your heavy one or hunter one shot or your hunter D6 shots. I mean... Auto cannon gets you six shots, or twin bolt cannon, which is stock. I mean, you you have really good. I would go with a beam, but you have really good options on on these. Just as not just transports, but as attack vehicles, even. Yeah, absolutely. Also, I'm waiting for people to get all the uh, the get her done jokes out of this with the Mater auto cannon. <laughs> oh, I didn't even. Car- no one, I... no one else got the the the, no. the cable guy. Car- Cars I mean, I get it now that you said it, but it didn't cross my mind before. <laughs> I, I try to forget about those movies, so <laughs> I have children. I can't. Yeah, so. that's fair. <laughs> but I mean, also, like the twin bolt cannon is obviously the better version of the heavy bolter because Hunter Six, Strength Six, AP minus two, two damage, and this comes equipped with that. So yeah, I mean. 
yeah, th- th- as a gun platform, this is like even if you don't use it as a transport, is a very capable little vehicle. Or still use it as a. Tr- I still like the idea of having a squad of t- one squad of ten that suddenly becomes two squads of five on your troops that are both objective secured. So you can kind of spread that out because you don't have, as you know, you don't have a lot of mobility. So you have no. to get your opsec to places somehow. And this lets you kind of split and move them. So I, exactly. I really like the Sagittars. Mm-hmm. And so, and finally, our last item in our list of 10 things you need to know Although, is we're Rob, gonna t- I'm going to go what? backwards. What? Because we talked about the pioneers. I do want to talk about the warriors also have the comms ability and the scanner ability. Uh, yes. that you can take for the warriors and they also have a meta pack which is a new thing which lets you once per battle or no once per turn change a damage characteristic on a failed save to a zero so they they've got those little upgrades both on the pioneers and the hearthkin warriors which also now, makes sense they're all they're all obsec too so it all kind of works together yep. Yes. Now back to yeah. The the (laughs) no, it's fine. And the warriors, I didn't really give their own thing because they are like I I guess the warriors would be an unofficial eleventh item because (laughs) well, it's just like they are the one. Well, yep, breaking format. We're 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 in uncharted territory with this because you know a new faction. Um, Sure, but uh, the the warriors are a very interesting choice because they they can go up to twenty. They do remind me of Battle Sisters in that regard. It's again, it's like you can build them up to a horde. I don't know if it's beneficial to do so. Mm, yeah, unsure. They can load up with, uh, like, you can have two of them with heavy weapons or, you know, they're hunter weapons, but, you know, the equivalent of heavy weapons. Because we mentioned, we mentioned that you could have like a Magna Rail rifle for every 10, but on top of that, you can add a Hylas rifle, missile launcher, or plasma beamer in there as well. You can have two different choices from that list for every 10. And then, yeah, you can have three warriors equipped with similar war gear to the pioneers. It's just a very flexible troop unit. So, uh, and like the, the Thane, which is their Sergeant can go, uh, with a close combat build, but this is a primarily shooty unit. I mean, that's, that is what it's going to do. And then everybody's armed with gravitic grenades as well, which gives you a, a blast option. That also provides the concussion keyword, which the pioneers also have, which unlocks another war gear strat. Concussion blast. When a Voton concussion unit from your army is selected to shoot in the shooting phase, select one enemy unit within six inches. Until the start of your next shooting phase, that selected enemy unit cannot fire overwatch or set to defend. And each time a model in that selected enemy unit makes an attack, subtract one from the attack's hit roll. Which, again, just makes you that much more resilient. Or sets up somebody for those uh, Chthonian berserks to get in and just wreck face. So so they're helping out the, the berserks for their charges, and the berserks are trying to protect this unit from charges. Right. So see, we figured it out. They're, they're, they're teamworking. <laughs> they, yeah, well, teamwork makes the dream work, and everybody pitches in. And, of course, the pioneers have that same concussion keyword, because they also have concussion grenades. So a uh, unit of berserks rolling up in a Sagittar alongside a uh, bike could also get the same benefit. All right, so finally, the actual number 10 on our list. <laughs> uh talking about heavy support because again we have two your heavy attack choices are devastators or a land raider hammerhead combo so i vote uh, the latter your two two (laughs) options are the broker thunderkin which are exoframe not 
exo armor. So they have the same strength and toughness benefit of like strength five T five that you see on the exo frames, like the iron here hearth guard, but they do not get that exo armor ability of reducing incoming damage by one. And their save is a little worse as well. Yeah. They've got a three up save rather than a two up. Their guns on the other hand are pretty decent. They start equipped with bolt cannon, which we said is basically a better heavy bolter with like strength six AP minus two, two damage. Uh, and 36 inches range. That's one of the longest ranges in this book, is that bolt cannon. And hey, if you're playing Emir, that means that's a 40-inch range. We, nothing to complain about. That's nine wounds coming out of this unit, because they start off at three. Or like nine attacks coming out of the unit. Uh, they can ins- they can replace those instead with Graviton Blast Cannons or SP Conversion Beamers. Graviton Blast Cannons are 18-inch range. Uh, and they're blast weapons... Uh, appropriately so strength five ap minus three two damage but they do three damage against units that have a three up or better save which is the same thing as grav cannons do for devastators and then sp conversion beamer is a 30 inch range beam weapon with one shot each although with the unit but of course the way that one beam rule works you still pick one model in the unit so it wouldn't even though you've got three beams coming out it still would only count as like one you'd only get to use it on one model Um, but uh, a beam weapon and then it does an additional hit if you are more than 15 inches away because like all conversion beamers have done they get stronger the further out you are and so in this case you do an additional hit if you are more if you are 15 to 30 inches away and then the target doesn't get the benefit of dense cover against any of their attacks because they wear omnivisors and they're okay. Like the guns yeah. aren't bad. I the the blast cannon has at 18 inches of range does not strike me as one I'd want to take. Like the grav the grav cannon on this I would not want want to bother with cuz there's no way to do a rapid deploy with these things really. No. So, like, I, I could see taking a, a unit of three with bolt cannons, though, to lay down some firepower, and the conversion beamers aren't bad, but uh, definitely one of the less interesting units in the Codex, I would say. I mean, the the best thing I see is the beam, and just because long range, you can get extra hits, and then also trigger the beam stratagems. Yeah. But... As I've seen with all other Devastator style units, after you place them, I mean, at, at least they can move around and not have penalties shooting, but still five inches of movement is not, it's barely repos- repositioning if people are kind of getting out of cover. Yeah, the the best bet for these guys is like camp them on, a, on an objective in your rear and just lay down fire as they see fit. On the other hand, there's the Hecaton Land Fortress. Uh, this is the, the big tank that they revealed at the the end of uh, the or uh, that they revealed during the Nova Open preview. Uh, this thing is a bit of a beast. Uh, strength eight, tough eight, sixteen wounds, two up save with void armor. Moves ten, degrades to eight, and then six. Starts at a ballistic skill three that degrades to four and then five. It is equipped with a cyclic ion cannon, a mater auto cannon, a pan spectral sta- scanner, and four bolt cannons. The cyclic ion cannon is a blast ion cannon that's heavy 3d3, strength 8, AP minus 2, 2 damage. So you can really put, like, 
against a a squad that's large enough i mean that's you know as many as nine shots that can do some like that can really ru- ruin someone's day and at strength eight that can ruin a vehicle's day too yeah the major auto cannon we've already talked about strength seven ap minus two two damage same kind of thing that you see on the sagittar and uh, we talked about the sp- pan spectral scanner and uh, four bolt cannons which are basically heavy bolters you can replace two or four of the bolt cannons with ion beamers, which gives you a bunch of Hunter 2 Strength 7 AP minus 2 beam weapons. So if you just want this thing putting out beams like crazy, you can totally do that. Yeah, the only negative against that is each beam you put on is five more points, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it adds if you're adding, fact. yeah. Because you're talking 10 or 20 points uh, worth of beams. Right. But I do like the fact that you can replace two instead of having to do all four if you want. Yeah, two and two seems like a good balance. I kind of want one with all four, but I don't know. I When I get one of these, I want to see if I can actually like have a way to swap out the gun so that way I can actually have a however I want to configure it rather than here's my two and two, here's my all four. Although someday I think I want to run two of these on a board because these are really cool. Uh, and then you can replace that ion cannon with a heavy magna rail cannon, which we talked about is obscene, or the uh, an SP heavy conversion beamer, which is the same thing as the the uh, ones that the Thunderkin carry, only it is strength eight AP minus three four damage. Otherwise, it's identical, same range, same ability that it does an extra hit at greater than half range. I mean, the ion beamer is really nice. The conversion beamer sounds great, and it's another beam. Like, you could put five beam guns on this thing. Yeah. But I think I still have to settle for that heavy magna rail. Because it's only one shot, but that shot is going to be impactful. And right. it doesn't cost any more than the other weapon. Like, it's all the same the same thing. Like, so the, the fact that the cyclic ion cannon, the heavy magna rail, costs the same tells me that, yeah, the, I mean, they're, now they're both good weapons, but also the magna rail has the benefit of being one of the, like, 36-inch range. So, like, you can make this vehicle just 36-inch, you know, bubble of death around it pretty easily. I do hope, and I think they will, is that you'll be able to kind of build each of the turret weapons or the weapons on top, and then that way you can just kind of swap which one you want on there. Yeah, magnet moddable would be really nice for this. Well, looking... Looking at the at the the image that they have from the Nova open, I believe that the the top weapon and all of the like ball turret mounted weapons are going to be pretty easily magnet moddable because if you look at the details, there's basically like an outer casing and then the gun kind of sets in that. So I would think that you would be able to magnet mod those ion cannons, heavy bolters, be able to swap them out, and then the magna rail and the conversion beamer look like they use the same base casing and then it's just the barrel that's different so those look like pretty pretty simple magnet mods okay i will definitely be looking into that yeah (laughs) and then there's the one other thing you can do with this and that is you can choose to replace that pan spectral scanner with one of the following an ancestor's vengeance warhead a kin's wrath warhead or a mountain breaker warhead um each of these is a once per game shot uh, ranging anywhere from, like, there's the Kin's Wrath, which is made to kill blobs of troops. Heavy 2d6, blast, strength 6, strength six AP minus 2, 1 damage, uh, can fire without line of sight. 
The Ancestor's Vengeance Warhead, heavy D6, strength 6, AP minus 2, 2 damage, ignore line of sight, uh, does more damage against vehicles uh, and automatically wounds them on a 4-up. And the Mountain Breaker Warhead, heavy 1, well, they're all one shot. Well, this one is like heavy 1, so not a blast weapon. Strength 10, AP minus 3, 6 damage, ignore line of sight. I look at these and then I look at the pan spectral scanner and I'm like, I think all of these suck if they're one shot only. <laughs> yeah, if if these were just a weapon you could replace the scanner with, I wouldn't know which one I'd want to choose because removing light cover is big in my mind. But and the damage these can do is seems to be great. But at one shot, no, I'd rather have something that lasts the whole battle. But if, yeah, if they'd changed it to where these missiles, you had enough where you could fire one each round. Oh, that would be something to be reckoned with and probably make this, I don't want to say a must take, but almost a must take. Cause, oh my gosh, this could put out so much damage. Well, and, and going back to your point earlier, they're all also 10 point upgrades. So you're taking, you're losing the, the, the scanner and you're paying more points for a one shot weapon. Yeah, no. I don't like it. Yeah, it's like w- one of these warheads costs the same as swapping out two of those bolt cannons for ion beamers, and I'd yeah. rather spend the points there. Exactly. Than, on, than trading off that scanner. So, yeah, I I mean, now, if those warheads unlocked stratagem that also made them, like, more useful or, like, gave you some benefit, that would be cool. But, like, as, as far as I see them, like, the fact that they're so easy, like... You could spend 10 points and f- roll a two and just completely yeah. flub the shot and like not get anything out of it. Uh, no, nah, thanks. I'll, I'll just take the, the scanner, always remove light, always be able to remove light cover and, uh, be able to target something that came in from Deep Strike. So as far as like, so we, we've talked about the arm. We've pretty much covered, you know, everything, at least in some level of detail in the book. Um, talking about the army box versus uh, the combat patrol obviously has not been released yet, but we know what the contents of that combat patrol will be because so the army box is Uthar the destined and a Einher champion, 20 Hearthkin warriors and uh, the unit of three pioneers like the, the bikes. The combat patrol is a call model, which can also make Uthar the, the destined. Uh, five Chthonian Berserks, ten Hearthkin Warriors, and the unit of bikes. So there's a lot of overlap between the two, more than I expected. Yeah. But I will say the army box does seem to give you enough to, like, actually at least start with, like, a a combat patrol of your own as well. Right, because you've got an HQ, a troop, a fast, and an elite. So that's very balanced, and also the bikes are objective secured, so you're not lacking that no it that sounds like a solid box no i i think either of these will be good entry points for the army yeah and and also warhammer's community has put up there that pre-orders for the army box are opening on saturday so the 17th i believe is saturday so basically when this episode goes live so when you hear this this will be available for pre-order yeah, and it it just looks like a great box. I'm just going to say that. 
which is why we wanted to get this out on time so you can listen to this and decide if uh, Voton will be an army that you want to get into, or at least know what you're getting up against if you end up playing against a Voton army. Because being as this is I'm a sure you brand will see new, them. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, so as we've covered this, and especially Dennis, you've you have the book in hand now, and you've. I mean, you've looked at the the information on the book for a little while now, but now that you have the book in hand, you've seen the box and the models and everything, uh, this was kind of your baby that you wanted to jump in on. Uh, <laughs> uh, what do you think of it? How, how, how are you liking what you're seeing? I am thoroughly pleased. My only air quote negative is not all the models are released in this in the combat patrol because i really want to see the sagittars the land fortress um so a lot of the, the key ones i want to see aren't announced for a release yet so i'm hoping it's soon but all in all i am i am thrilled um i think this is going to be a very fun army to play i like the fact that it kind of already pulls upon some of the things from my other armies like using runes for psychic from the Eldar kind of having, well, for, for lack of a better term, vat breeding or clones like the dark Eldar kind of have, um, the, like you compared them to sisters, which I can see that. And I was comparing them slightly to custodes in a way that just they're, they're five strength, five tough terminators. I mean, that that's custode level right there. Um, Although a lot, they're a little bit slower than custodes, but so it, it just feels like it's a conglomeration of a little bit of each of the armies that I've been playing. And, and I think, as I mentioned to, to you, I haven't even played it, but just all the way the look and the feel of the army, it's, it's already in my top three favorites along with Eldar and sisters. So I, I am thoroughly pleased and excited to get digging into this one. Yeah, this one looks cool. It it looks like it will have a play style that isn't, like you said, it's kind of like a little bit of everything from other armies, but combined in a new way. So I'm curious to see what kinds of lists are going to pop. And obviously, at launch, we don't have a lot of options available. So everything coming out at first yeah. is going to look very samey, but... I mean, my take on that, I don't think this is going to like break the meta. Watch me say that and then it does. Um, but I, I think this is going to be a solid, uh, like mid to upper mid type army where it can handle the big threats. Um, it can probably handle the hordes. I, I, that's the one I'm a little more concerned about. It can, it's got psychic defense with your Grimnars. I mean, it feels like it, it is well round enough to be a take all comers with the only downside being range and movement i think for me the biggest thing that i'm excited about with it is you know go talking back when we were you know with the the squats and the reason why they stopped developing that army is like we just didn't know where to take the army we didn't know how to design it move them beyond just dwarves in space and i think they nailed it with this like i really do think that this is this army slots into the universe and slots into the fluff and also like goes beyond just dwarves in space. You know, they, they have dwarfy, uh, you know, elements and, and parts to their background, but this feels like, you know, it, it's, it's more well-rounded than that. And it feels like kind of a neat mixture of other factions that are influenced by, you know, humanity and influenced by dwarves and influenced by this stuff. But it doesn't just feel like, you know, um, the Caradon overlords in space. This feels like its own thing. And I think that's 
that's a huge success, regardless of what the how it actually fits into the current edition of the game. From a design standpoint, making this feel like an actual faction and a factual an actual army that has uh, its own thing is like a huge accomplishment, and I'm really really happy about that. Yeah, I will say that I think they did a really good job on on coming up with the design because, like, you look at the old design and you lo- like you look at the old uh, like the design of the squats and it it was very much like <laughs> dwarves in space, complete with like the horned helmets and 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 biker like like full on like ape hanger handle choppers and everything like that. It did it looked like they they really did not know what to do with it. And I think the the cool thing is that this still feels like dwarves in space but high-tech sci-fi dwarves like and, yeah. and the fluff re- feels like reading stuff about dwarves. So it it works I think it works really well and also the fact that like yeah the background is tied into the expansion of humanity into space back in the very very pre early pre-imperium days and to the point where they are practically their own species now it is really an interesting way to take that fluff and the way they've dovetailed in the other kind of remnants of lore about the squats and are they aren't they was this the squats what happened to the squats is like it's nice touches and callbacks to all that lore uh, and then the rules themselves, yeah, I do feel like they're they're going to play similarly enough that it's not going to be like a major like oh god this plays so differently I don't understand it but at the same time combining all the elements in different ways to cover something you know to feel like something new it's it's a really good combination and also as far as a, at a complexity level I think the judgment token thing is really easy to understand. Yeah. So I, I do like that. I think this will be an easy army for people to pick up and play. As, and between the stratagems and the psychic powers, it still has that level of complexity that you can layer things on. <clears throat> oh, absolutely. But not so much that it's really hard to keep track of. Also, um, one thing that they included, they included this in the box, and I'm assuming it's going to be included in the codex, the way that like blip tokens were included for the Gene Stealer Cold Codex, is they give you a sheet of judgment token markers. So you can keep yeah. track on like enemy units, how many tokens a unit has. And, and, and these are dual sided and they're both judgment tokens and grudge tokens, which I think is only going to be relevant for um, Crusade. But right. if you, because they're double sided, you can have 37 ones 32s 23s or 36 grudges and i'm like yeah i think that's plenty because i don't think you're gonna have armies that have more than 37 units right (laughs) (laughs) so yeah i like that they gave this to you because it's an integral part of the army and having those punch outs is going to be coming very handy downside uh, you need to carry these with you and have a little storage space for them. But you got to do that with dice and other things, too. So Right. Too and they they definitely aren't the only army that's had this kind of thing to track. So, hey, you're used to power from pain tokens, so this shouldn't be that different. Blood t- yeah, tokens. it is. <laughs> pa- power from pain. That was ages ago I focused on that. And at the time, I actually, like used the spikes and skull bits from the extra parts of the Dark Eldar stuff to... May actually make pain tokens. So you used every part of the buffalo. Uh, yeah, man, that was back in the day. You got you that split what? the squad. You got to split the tokens however you decided. She could oh, have yeah. characters join, and then the character leave and take the tokens with. Them. 
Well, and uh. they do even uh, mention that in like with judgment tokens um, that like if a unit with more and more judgment tokens splits up into two or more smaller units uh, or then each of them have the same number of judgment tokens. And if two units combine to form a single one, then uh, you just use whoever had the tokens of whoever had the most when they joined. So they even take that into account, like when units split out and when they merge back in. So like, like they thought about the possibilities of how this would interact with other abilities. So I really do appreciate the thought that went into the, the rule. Um, I've seen some people say that they think this is going to be a, like a hugely powerful army. I am curious to see what this is going to do when it hits. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think because we don't have all the models available yet, we're not going to see the effects of this really hitting the meta for like a couple of a couple of months at least. It depends on how long it's going to take them to get the line out. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping soon because I would love to take the whole line to U.S. Open now. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know if they'll have them all dropped and ready in time for like end of October, but we'll see. It depends on how quickly they can roll these out. But right, the, the rules will probably be out in time. But yeah, well, yeah, the because. If this is in the army box, then usually, like I said, in about a month, you know, as we said before, in about a month, the codex will be available by it as a separate thing. That's when they'll drop the combat patrol. They'll probably have the Chthonian Berserks available at the same time as the combat patrol or maybe a week later. So it'll be uh, cut. Drop close. all the vehicles, drop all the vehicles the month after. Yeah, uh, it's yeah. That, so uh, that would be too late for me to build the full army. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be tough. Yep. So I, I think like. We might, it'll be interesting to see what kind of splash this army makes at like LVO or, you know, yeah. something after the first of the year. Cause I think by the time Guard comes out is when we'll have most, if not all, of the, uh, Voton stuff out. All right. Uh, that wraps up our look at the Leagues of Voton. Uh, moving on to hobby progress. I finished four Blitz Bowl teams. I have. I have four Blitzball teams done. I had some fun with uh, basing them. I saw a, a video on – I think I may have talked about this last time, using like static grass to to base with and using a popsicle stick. Once the grass is placed and kind of held in, held in with glue, use a popsicle stick, paint one side of it white, and press that into the grass to make the uh, lines on the field. Hmm. And it actually looks really good. It it. it the the tricky part is sometimes the model, the way the models overhang can make it hard to get a good angle on it. But with the fact that like these pieces are all like posed running around, you don't have to have the line in the same place on the base. So it's like you can have them at different angles and things like that, or even behind them if you want. But it actually, considering I was doing it all like in quick and dirty contrast paint and metallics to just get them done, I feel like they turned out okay. Like they're not what I would consider up to my normal painting standards, but these are just for me to use and like here at home. So that's good enough. And I still got to have fun painting something that's wildly different than what I would normally paint. So it was a fun experiment. <laughs> now I have, I have Tau to work on for uh us open. So I have uh three crisis suits an enforcer commander, 10 breachers and a, uh, a rail broad railgun broadside and a couple of ethereals on my painting table to work on now. And I got the like the base green on their armor done to match everything else I have. So it's on to like kind of cleaning up the 
like getting the the black components of like the mechanics underneath done, getting the under armor cloth on the breachers and uh, stuff like that. So that'll be my my next week or two is going to be working on these. And I'd like to get them knocked out by the beginning of October. So I've got time to kind of, so I'm not rushing to get stuff done in time for October uh, 31st or, you know, the weekend of, I guess it's 27th through the 30th is us open KC. And I'm trying to decide if I want to take these because I'm starting up, uh, I'm joining in on a crusade league here in Lee summit at mind games and magic. They're, they're starting one up next week, and I'm trying to decide which army I want to take, because I'm like, I could take my Emperor's Children, because they're all painted and done, and it'd be fun to play around with the Chaos uh, Crusade rules, or I could see how much of my Tau I can get done. Thing is, they're starting at 25 PL instead of 50, like most Crusade, so they're going to be really small forces, and so I'm like trying to figure out, like, what can I build in 25 PL? I've got, like, three or four possible lists but I haven't decided where I'm going to go with it yet. And I don't know if I want to just, if I want to take Tau so I can be practice. I think I may want to take Tau so I can practice in a more casual environment before US Open. So mm-hmm. that might be a, a good way to go. So I haven't decided yet, but that's right now I'm, I'm working on painting Tau. For the US Open list, did you decide uh, for or against taking the Town R? Oh, I'm totally taking the Town R. That's, that's, okay, you are doing that? Okay, in. cool. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, I've been moving. I haven't done shit. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that that the progress your progress is getting your hobby stuff moved I, from point A to point B. We'll count. Yeah, it, yeah. And honestly, like I've been trying to like uh, improve my setup and stuff so that it'll be easier for me to work and stay motivated. So um, I've bought. Uh, I have, I think, now six or seven of the like uh, Detoff uh, curio cases from IKEA. So I've got. I'll have all of my stuff that's painted like in a display case and like, you know, out so I can see them. Also, like I can organize what I have still to paint, things like that, and I can kind of separate it out by faction. So I'm I think that this is gonna make the process a lot easier for me to kind of identify what I have going forward. Um and then also, as I mentioned earlier, as I was moving stuff, I found a lot of like, ooh, I bought this a while ago and never opened it yet. (sighs) <sighs> this is not a repeat from the last time. Oh, no, wait, it is a no, repeat from the last time you moved. No, it's not. No, it's not. <laughs> Liar. Lies. These are all lies. I, um, I, know it's a, I know it's a repeat because I bought one of your storm surges the last time right. you moved. <laughs> yeah. So uh, this will help me, I think, organize my, my hobby stuff a little bit better. And then I'm actually going to set up a dedicated hobby work desk because – uh, in my current apartment, because it's, you know, very small and stuff like that, I was basically using my hobby work desk was the same as my actual work work desk. And that, yeah, that created problems. So now that I'll actually have like a dedicated hobby space to like set up and work and, and keep my like monitors and stuff off of it. So it's like, OK, this is just a place where I can bring out the airbrush and I can paint and I can work on building stuff in one space and kind of get it done and not have and leave it setting there. If I'm like, okay, I'm not going to finish this unit today. I can let it set for a couple of days and I don't have to put it away and then like, forget about it and stuff like that. So this is ultimately going to be better for me. It's just, uh, it's painful in the, during the move process. (laughs) Right. I guess for me, um, I've been doing odds and ends. I worked on getting more of the, 
carapace weapons for the knights put together because I kind of after I put the knights together I just set them aside uh, and so I said yeah I need to finish things up um, so that's all I did and now I have some Votan to put together along with as you noted Rob um, if I can't if all the Votan aren't out in time for the late October US Open I will probably still go with my Eldar for that and for that I still need to paint three um, Shining Spears so I probably should start working on that as well so that's i guess the direction i will be going for stuff and for me work's been picking up uh it's not quite peak busy but it's enough that i'm started in on 10 hour days so i i haven't really done anything but that's why you did all that work on orc stuff while you had the window to get it done yep let's see and then for the morale phase um hmm so, yeah, actually, so um, I didn't get a chance to record because of other issues that have come around at the time, but um, I was able to go to Gen Con uh, back in okay. August. Oh, this is a good one. Yeah. And uh, so, like, it was really great going back to Gen Con. Uh, first time in three years uh, being able to go in person. You know, there were mask mandates uh, and you had to you had to wear a mask the whole time and you had to show proof of vaccine or a negative test within the last 48 hours for the most part from what i saw the lines to get your uh your you know wristband that basically shows that you're vaccinated was very quick and painless um everybody wore their mask in the you know in the hall with no no pushback or anything like it was very clearly communicated ahead of time that this was going to be the case. And I will say this, this is the first time I've ever gone to a convention like this and not had concrete afterwards. So uh, I personally hope that even once COVID is in the, you know, is in the far rear view mirror, something like mask mandates at conventions or things like that, like just stay because like I said, I've never gone to a Gen Con before and not come back with some form of concrete. But being back after three years, it was really great. It was a smaller event than it had been in 2019, although I think it was still 50,000 know, people attended. So it was slightly less crowded. It was a little bit easier to go around and see everything. There was a lot of really great stuff that was released. Uh, uh, Catalyst Games released a bunch of stuff for uh, uh, Battletech, the Alpha Stripe box, um, and a bunch of other stuff that they uh, that they put out. Uh, Paizo had a bunch of new releases for Pathfinder 2nd Edition. There was a bunch of really just cool games uh, all over the place. Like It's just so great to be back at a convention like that and just see all of these new games that are coming out. The Games Workshop booth was really great. They had a probably a double the size booth than they'd had previously. Um, and they had a gigantic Horus Heresy display in the front of the booth because that was uh, the weekend, like right after Horse Heresy launched. So they had a huge, like uh, Istvan battle site set up, which was really cool. Then they had like all sorts of stuff in there. They had the t-shirts, they had uh, the McFarlane, uh, you know, uh, action figures. They had the joy toy action figures. They had all sorts of forge world stuff and just the regular GW stuff. Like it was really cool to see that. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of what other cool stuff is there. Like Beetle and Grimm's, uh, which is Matt Lillard's uh, D&D company, like that makes like prestige version of D&D boxes, was there. Uh, I actually got to like shake his hand and say hi to him. Uh, the first time that I went by and, and I saw the booth, he was actually like working the cash register, which I thought was funny. 
Yeah, it was just really cool. Like, it was a really cool experience. Um, I got to play in, you know, I got to play in some games like I normally do when I go to Gen Con. Uh, yeah, uh, it was it was just a really cool experience to be to get back into uh, after time away. And, uh, you know, it it really kind of helped me personally feel like, OK, maybe, you know, maybe this covid stuff is like actually like nearing its end um, and we're kind of starting to get back to normal. Yeah, it's seeing the photos uh, of Gen Con. It was like on the one hand, seeing that many people i'm, I'm like i said I, I i've i've mentioned before like i don't know if i'm quite ready to travel to events yet and i will say part mm-hmm. of me seeing that many people packed in together kind of made me go yeah you know because i've still kind of got a little bit of that feel around crowds but at the same yeah. time and i know other like there's a couple of people i know who attended for like magic stuff like one of them did end up catching it but even she's like yeah i was vaccinated i was double masked all the time at the event i probably picked it up when i was hanging out with people unmasked afterwards so yeah you know, like there's always that concern but well i um i follow a bunch of like facebook groups for gen con and honestly like after the convention they were asking us questions like did you test positive did you you know did you get a test did you test negative and really like for the most part most everybody was testing negative. Um, I took two tests after I got out of it, and you know, and I and I tested negative. So yeah, I, I I do think that the mask mandate and the vaccine requirement uh, did really help, and I think that they communicated it clearly enough ahead of time that people were like, okay, this is if I want to come to Gen Con, this is just part of it, and I have to accept that. Um, but I, I think it went really well. Yeah, and I know like last year they, you know, they had Gen Con last year and they were very strict on it to the point where like there were a couple of people that got kicked out for like unmasking like while mm-hmm. they're at the event. So yeah, it's and it, yeah, the the whole thing with like masking and everything. I remember when my my kids went back to in-person school and when masks were like it wasn't until masks were made optional that they brought home any colds or anything. So yeah, like like you said, like the first time you have an event and you don't bring back con crud. Like we've gone to a couple of things where we've been working, like where my like my partner's been working the artist alley, and we've managed to not come back with anything because we've been masked up the whole time. So it's kind of nice. It's kind of nice. So yeah, I'm US Open will be an interesting event for me because that'll be my first time going back to a big event. Um, mm-hmm. so uh well, other than Midwest Conquest. <laughs> well, okay, fair. There was Midwest Conquest, but I don't think that's a good choice because half of us got COVID at Midwest <laughs> Conquest. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, half of us here, the four of us, not half yeah. of the people who attended, but <laughs> No, I know. I just but two, I mean, two out of four you. is not great. <laughs> I mean, that's on you for getting COVID, so. I know. <laughs> but you guys got better, so that's that's the important oh, thing. Yeah, just a few days, yeah. It wasn't yeah. bad. Uh, so, so, yeah, it's uh, – it, at the same, like, what I was going to say is at the same time, seeing that many people getting back together and seeing everybody, like, following precautions and having a good time – and and enjoying it and like hearing but hearing afterwards from people like you know from you uh like brett at like goobertown minis had a video about his gen con experience i know like ash barker was there like there's a whole bit of you know from like gorilla miniature gaming is there and like a whole bunch of people Mm -hmm. have attended and talked about what a good time they have and yeah overall it's been extremely positive so yeah it does kind of get the feeling like maybe like we can actually get back to to this kind of thing and here's proof um yeah so yeah, I'm I'm looking 
I'm looking forward to U.S. Open. I will attempt to not have a panic attack while I'm there, but I did okay at Midwest. <laughs> but this one, like this one, will be even bigger than that. So it'll yeah, be for interesting sure. Interesting to see how it goes. But no, that was cool. I'm glad. I'm glad, and I'm I'm glad you got to attend because you got to bring me back the uh, BattleTech box set too. So exactly, yeah. So like it was. So we all it was a really cool thing. Yeah, yeah. And I, I I feel bad that it's like you know a month late, and I'm like finally giving my 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 coverage of it, but. It was fun. You've if been you get a chance to go with tent. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that wraps us up for episode 266. Uh, next episode, I am going to try to fit in those list reviews we promised for September. The episode might not technically hit to like October 1st, depending on the 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 release schedule but we're going to record it in september at least so let's look look for that coming up soon uh but until then from all of us here at preferred enemies i'm your host rob kevin dennis and richard good night good gaming and uh don't be too judgy on this new codex Preferred Enemies is an Undergopher Radio production and is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 Unported License. Our theme music is Metal Slug 2 Super Vehicle 001-2, No Need to Reload, originally by Takushi Hayamuda and remixed by Roataka, courtesy of OC Remix. It can be found at ocremix.com.